Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Well, hello, partygoers. Welcome to Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And as I said, welcome to another episode of the show. This is episode number 58, Mary. 58, huh? We've made it that far. Wow. A few more to go, but we're getting close to the end here. Wow. Unbelievable, I know. It we, is It is pretty unbelievable. We've. I've stretched it out in different ways, but mm, uh, mm-hmm. we, <laughs> we, are, we are reaching the end of our mixtapes. Hmm. And so, have- so that means that we still have one novelty mix to go. We have one novelty mix to go, and I don't want to give people the the jitters, but uh, that is upcoming. <gasps> so we'll be. I don't want to put it at the very end of this. <laughs> I don't want to put it at the very end of That's the fair. series. I mean, I like I like the the novelty tapes or mixtapes. To be honest with you, um, it's think, just a bit. They're just a bit much. I think know? they're fun, but you know, if you don't have a sense of humor, I can understand why you wouldn't. Well, no, enjoy just, them. it's just a bit much. If you're kind of a stage hear, like, sober person, a whole bunch of songs that doesn't... aren't like very good musically, they're just kind of funny. You <laughs> know, they are good musically. Mm, okay, if you say so. Some of them <laughs> That's are pretty harsh. Some of them are. I, I enjoy all those songs in, in various ways. Huh. Mary. Yes. Don't be judgmental. That's like the whole point. That's my whole purpose on this show is to be judgmental. That's all I do here is judge. Would you would you please stop your role on the show? <laughs> okay. See ya. <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> oh. Door closing. Good good fully work. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Just gonna adjust my mic here and make some noise. That might be better, I don't know. So we're gonna start with uh sigh Oh, Mary. Yep. I forgot to to mention this, this what? is important news. You got your second booster shot. Yes, I did. I got my for... second COVID vaccine yesterday. Yes. Yeah, so now you are immune to COVID. You can walk into a, a room full of COVID lepers well, with no, no worries. That's not true at all. Wait, lepers? They're like lepers. Mm, no. But anyway, yeah, my arm is like, it was fine yesterday, but it's starting to hurt more as the day progresses. I got it done yesterday morning. Yeah. So I am 20 eight hours passed mm-hmm. when I got it or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, did you have to do the 15 minute wait yep, after you I did. shot? Okay. Yep. Just but sit, sit yeah, it was way busier this time. Oh really? Yeah. Well, last time I went, I went on the second day of them doing the vaccines in the province. And, um, that whole, that week they were intending on vaccinating 400 people. Yes. They ended up vaccinating a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, and that was all across the whole province. They yeah. did a thousand people. Yeah. Yesterday, um, they were trying to vaccinate a thousand people in one day, just at the location I was at. Wow. So, wow. That's, yeah, it that's was good. I guess it is. It was so much busier though. <laughs> they had like way more tables set up, and all the tables were full when I was there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they have like, yeah, they like at Disneyland. You know, when you mm-hmm. go and you have to walk through like the ropes to get to all yeah, the places. Yeah. They have all that set up. Yeah. To make sure people are... Did they have the surprise waiting area? Like they have a Disneyland where you think, oh, this isn't such a bad lineup. And then you wait for half an hour and then you get to oh, the doorway. Oh, and then you get and then, and then it's like more <laughs> There's even inside. more people. You're like, what? Well, what? kind of. They do that in that you go and you line up outside and then you have to go in and go to a room and fill out a bunch of forms. Yeah. You have to fill them up again? Yeah. 
Oh, interesting. Well, that you need they need you need to consent to it every time. Mm, okay. Um, and then the second time you do it, they also ask you questions about your experience with the first one. Oh, that makes sense. That's yeah. good. That's so they're good. like, did you have any adverse effects? Did mm-hmm. you have this or this or this or this? And you're like, nope, nope, Did you tell, nope, them, nope. tell them about the adverse effect that I, that you had? Which was? When you lost your sense of humor. Boom! Oh, I did see this TikTok that was like, yeah. my sister got the COVID vaccine yesterday. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be using my account to like monitor her symptoms. Okay. So far... She has been experiencing one pretty serious symptom, which is not being able to shut up about getting the, the COVID vaccine. <laughs> I was like, same. <laughs> it was pretty exciting, especially when you had it first done. There was, we knew no one yeah. who, who'd had that done. Yeah. And you were you were the first person in our circle of family and friends that yeah. had it. So, yeah. you know, you were allowed to walk around the house polishing your nail fingernails on your mm-hmm. shirt and blowing in them. Yeah. I don't know why you needed to do that, but you kept doing it over and over again all day. You had the shiniest nails. I did. At the I end sure of your, your first yeah. COVID <laughs> vaccine. <Yeah. laughs> well, that's good. That's exciting. I'm glad. So now, as you say, this doesn't mean that you're absolutely immune to no. COVID, but that no, you because, are more resistant. Yeah, more resistant. And it, like like with the flu shot, mm-hmm. if I was to get it, I would have less serious side effects probably, okay. right? Okay. And it would like, wouldn't take me so long to recover from mm-hmm. it and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Huh. It'd be terrible if you, if you, um, got COVID. If you got COVID. Yep. And then you lost both your sense of taste and your sense of humor. Hmm. Yep. Boom. Yep. That's, would be, would be, uh, ah, the old Mary would have laughed at that joke. Would she have? Yeah. Hmm. I remember thinking about her now. Yep. <laughs> old Mary. <laughs> so different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm glad. I, You know, I've been feeling really bad the last couple of days. About what? Well, you know, I had a bit of an accident at work. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I've been feeling terrible about that. Mm-hmm. And yesterday I spent the whole day, like, when I wasn't making myself work, I just spent my time staring off into the distance. Oh. Holding b- both of my hands to I my face. I thought you were like... doing, like, in Arrested Development when George Michael walks sad and they play music from Peanuts. <laughs> no, I didn't like have that. that. That would have been so nice. If only I had a soundtrack in my life, it would yeah. have been good. Normally, the problem with that is I had to cancel the soundtrack on my life because mm. almost all of it was tuba music. Right. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Just reminding you of how clumsy you are. <sighs> yeah. Definitely doesn't help when you make a mistake when that music's playing. You're like, I know, I get it. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. That does explain why you would often fall down the stairs um, <laughs> as a joke when we were kids. Yeah. Because that's what the music was prompting you it to was do. Prompting me to do that. It's, it's like, like when, come you, on, Dave. when you turn on an episode of Supernatural and the the score yeah. is like that, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a goofy episode. <laughs> we're in for some goofs this time. Oh, isn't that the worst soundtrack? Yeah. I hate, um, I hate watching romantic comedies mm. where it seems like everyone's every action and step is like. Uh, Accompanied by plucked strings to let you know that it's late and frothy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. She's just making coffee. But she's doing it in a quirky way. She's late for the magazine she works at. She works for a magazine in New York City, Dad. But she's clumsy. And late. And late. She's going to leave the house with the bathtub running. Yeah. Then they'll never return to it. Dad will tear <laughs> ah! his hair out and think about it for the next 20 years. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Uh, 
All right. Should we start talking about uh, Nick Owen's second? Well, not a second mixtape, but the second side of his first mixtape is uh, how I should have put it. All right, Mary, we're going to start with a song that we've played before. You brought this song in for us with one of your mixes, but I'm I'm also a fan of this song, and so I, of course, put it on one of my mixes. Because you're a copycat. Because I'm a big, big copycat. That's true. That's the other music that I have. It's not just the boom, 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 but it's also like sneaky music, like do 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 do. David's going to take this thing and he's going to use it now. Yep, that makes sense. Those are definitely two sounds that I associate with you. Sneaky and clumsy. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be associated. <laughs> so this is a corner shop in a way. In a way, it's corner shop. But in another right. way, it's, it's Norman Cook. It's Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. Mm-hmm. The uh, popular 90s, early oddies DJ who uh, took this song and... Made it uh, better. I think made it better. Yeah, I would agree with you. Well, let's listen to it, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about it a little bit. I know we talked about it before, and you had some fun fun facts to throw 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 into the ring. But I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna blow your mind because I've got some other things to add to to <gasps> your research. So oh, wow. So yeah. So we're going to uh, listen to the song now. This is Corner Shop with Brimful of Asha, the Norman Cook remix. This is the single version of the song. This is the seven minute long one. This is the the four minute long one. So let's give it a listen, everybody. Everybody 
Do I need to ask what you thought of this song? <laughs> uh, no, you don't, because I loved it, and you know that I did. Yeah, yeah. And as you, of course, point out, I'm a copycat. You introduced me to it when you were uh, young. Yes, when I came out in 1998. So when you were a four-year-old girl, yep. you said, Daddy, yes. I want you to hear this great song I learned." <laughs> I heard it, of course, on. I mean, um, I warned on the radio. I guess on the radio. On the radio. That's right. If you prefer. You said, "Daddy." I heard this song on the radio. I said, we need to take you to a speech therapist. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. It's a fair, uh, fair rebuttal to that sentence. Well, I, you know, it's it embarrassing. I went around calling the song Whimful of Asher for months. I didn't realize what it was actually Well, called. that's because you're illiterate. <laughs> it's not my fault, Dad. <laughs> so, yes, as we said before, based on Corner Shop's original version of this song, which appeared on their third album, which was called Mary. Do you remember what it's called? Nope. <laughs> Glad that research stuck. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about that, too, was that I was in the middle of a yawn when Dad asked me. So we had to wait until I was done yawning. <laughs> to get that nope. <laughs> well, Mare, if you were like me and had a piece of paper with it written on it right uh -huh. in front of your face. I would know that You would know was. that it was called When I Was Born for the Seventh Time. Oh, yeah. And you went into a lot of that album, so I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to talk about how, uh, what, so Cook took this song and... And cooked it. And cooked it, yeah. He was part of a scene called the Big Beat scene in, right. in England. So that was a type of electronic music that was very popular at the time. Uh, best represented by himself, the Chemical Brothers. Um, Moby. Not Moby. No, Moby's not part of that scene. Um, no, uh, uh, what were they called? The Rith Bentley Rhythm Aces, mm. or Bentley, Bentley Rhythm Ace. Frank Sinatra. Not Frank Sinatra. No, okay. that's a good guess, though. Thank you for that. No, you're welcome. But uh, no, you would be wrong okay. there. But yeah, and then The Prodigy, I guess, would be another mm. example of mm -hmm. that. So yeah, it's basically a, a lot of guys who came out of indie music. So they had a background in in like kind of normal songs. And so really, when they went into Big B, when they started doing remixes, they don't really they don't really deconstruct the music very much. It's more of a, it's more of a, they kind of more like add 
flourishes to it, you know? So you get a kind of a lot of wish, wishing sounds and siren effects. And they really, you know, they'll add more drums to it, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the case of, of this song, speed it up yep. a bit. And Make it a bit poppier. Sure. They'll add, they'll add synth bass lines. Um, they'll do a lot of like Roland TB303 synth stuff in it. Uh, a lot of stuff that harkens back to Acid House because that's where a lot of these guys came out of, right? So they were part of the indie generation. Then they started taking ecstasy, going to the the, the dance, ra- the raves and stuff like that. They're happening around England, and really got into like Acid House music. And then they took that experience, kind of coupled it with their indie, their indie um, experiences, and then they they kind of affected that onto the, the music of the time. And so basically, basically they're kind of you know something like this is where Cook loved this song so much that he he did it for free. Oh really? They couldn't afford to pay him to do a remix. They were, you know, they were just a broke indie band. And right. Well, that, yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, at this point, he was pretty well known, he right? Was very he well known. Yeah. Had had um his hits, his hit song come out already. Mm-hmm. Praise you had come out. Praise and you. And Rockefeller yep. Skank and stuff yep. like that. So, so yeah, you come a long way, baby. Had come out, and so you know, he was it really in demand DJ. You know, he was playing in arenas and stuff like that. And so, you know, most bands who wanted a remix from someone like. Fatboy Slim were paying big money for you know for that, but I like situations like this where it's like he obviously just really likes music, you know. Oh, yeah. like he didn't do this because they paid him to. Mm-hmm. He did it because he heard the song and was like, "I love music so much. I love this song. <laughs> yeah. I want to make this song as good as it can be. Yeah. And I have a really cool idea for something I can do with this song. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. No, it's great. And so yeah. So um. Another kind of another uh, another what do we call it a, a part of the genre of breakbeat was to use 60s 70s music whatever pop rock funk soul whatever just music from that time period they would just use loops of that as well and kind of in, put it into the song and then big beat really liked to add dramatic builds to songs so you would get things like you know crescendos you'd get drops where the music would just drop out for a second and you get a bit of silence before it kick back up again or drum rolls that weird drum roll in in uh i think in praise you has that kind of weird like drum roll in it in the middle of the song it's kind of like i don't know if that was necessary but okay <laughs> but that, i guess that's just part of the genre and you know part of the 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 full excitement on the dance floor was you, know, you get you turn the lights up and everyone raises their hands in the air and then there's a drum roll and then you carry on with your with your stuff so he added two samples to the song and both of them actually were just to pump up the percussion so the song already had drums on it, and so he just took the original drum track, and then he added a sample from Led Zeppelin's song "The Crunge." The so cr- the crunge. It's kind of a, it's kind of a parody of James Brown. So it's kind of a very kind of pretend funk song, hmm. and a lot of stuff where, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a silly little bit of a thing. But John Bonham's drums on it are really great, and so he just kind of borrowed a little snippet of the drums near the beginning of the song, and put that in a loop, and then also he took. A little bit of the percussion opening, like the percussion, there's maracas in the drum track from the monkey song, Mary, Mary, Mary. Me? Yeah. And so, yeah, he took those two songs and kind of just used those as a bass to kind of pump up the, the drum sound. And then, like I say, he sped it up. The original song is five minutes and 15 seconds. And uh, he the single version is four minutes and four seconds. The longer one is seven minutes. So he just kind of stretched it out with more stuff happening, but... I like the shorter one better. I think it's just, I like concision, it's concision in these sort of things. But anyway, it's a lot of fun. I first knew Norman Cook before he was Fatboy Slim. I knew him as the bass player for a band called the House Martins. And uh, that's where he came out of. Like, And for instance, the one of the guys in Bentley Rhythm Ace, who are another 
big beat group came out of a a band called Pop Will Eat Itself. They were a kind of early '90s combo who played a kind of music called Grebo music, which was kind of a a kind of a lame continuation of what Mick um, Jones was trying to do in uh, Big Audio Dynamite. Big Audio Dynamite, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting idea. It's kind of like he wanted to do like an amalgam of rock with with kind of hip hop culture mm-hmm. with elements of dub, like. Jamaican like kind of rock steady dub or whatever it, it kind of all put together into one thing and it when and it he works called it, it dubstep when it <laughs> when it, it works when it works well hmm. but when it doesn't work it's really kind of clunky right and Popolite itself took it to the clunkiest place you can take it mm. like they called it Gribo music but it's Gribo is not a good name no it's not it sounds like a name that would have been rejected by George Lucas for Star Wars yes <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe just be might be because it sounds like Greedo, who I think is an actual character. He is an actual character. But he was like true. Grebo? No. Yeah, nope. That's too silly. I'll yeah. go with Greedo. That implies that he's greedy, and then yeah. people will know that he's the villain. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't think anyone's out here saying that um that George Lucas is great at naming characters. <laughs> you know? What are you trying to tell me, Dexter Jester? <laughs> Yeah, like so. Cook was a member of the House Martins, who were like this really super clean cut. Like all had short hair, mm-hmm. wore cardigans mm-hmm. with you know button up shirts. Yep, and uh, all look migrated like... to sub-Saharan Africa for winter. <laughs> True, much like the bird, like, the House much Martin. Like, much like the bird, the House Martin. Mm-hmm. Glad I could give you some ammunition for this section yeah, of the show. Yeah, <laughs> so they were more of like a jangle pop band of kind of the, the indie scene of the late '80s, and I guess. They roped Cook in, who wasn't really that interested in the music they were playing. Right. But they needed a bass player, and he was amenable. He's a friend of the band. Yeah. So he was like, oh, all right, I'll play with you for a few. He's like, I love music. I'll play with you for a while. But I thought I'd play a song by the House Martins, since I don't think you know them very well, Mary. No. And you can kind of get a sense of Norman Cook's, the the roots of Norman Cook. Hmm. That's what we'll call this. Okay. The roots of Fat Boy Slim. Right. All right. So this is from their uh, fabulously named album, London Zero, Hall 4. Okay, interesting. Hull being a city in itself, so. Oh, Hull. Yeah. Oh, not Hull. Hull. Hull, yeah. Hull. H-U-L-L. I know Hull. Yeah, there you go. I've watched British TV shows. There. Yeah. They like to make fun of Hull. Sure. It's right. It's 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 right near Upper Pinkington. Sure. So we'll uh, we'll give a listen I'll to- I'll believe that. <laughs> we'll give a listen Sounds to Sounds like it could line. be the real name of a real city. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, you want me to say Ashley De, La- De La Roche? Whatever it's called? Ashley it's called? De La Roche. I think it's called that. I think it's- I think it's spelled like that, but you're not supposed to pronounce it that way. Hmm. Sounds I, I like know. the name of an actress. Well, I was thinking it sounds more like that. His name Zach Delarosha or whatever, like guy who sings for Rage, Rage Against the Machine. I don't know. Zach, I don't know it it's outside of my uh, outside of my <laughs> knowledge areas. Outside of your interest. Yeah. <laughs> but who's that guy screaming about stuff? Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Singers. Yeah, not really my. Per- just personally, <laughs> not that they're bad. That's just not who yeah. I like. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Bulls on Parade is a good song. You played it on like Guitar Hero. Hmm. Okay, I'll believe you. Um, let's listen to the House Martins. This is Think for a Minute. This is probably my favorite song by them. So here we go. This is uh, from their album, as I said before, London Zero, Hall 4 from 1986. <laughs>
right, Mayor. That was Clean Cut Young Socialists, The House Martin, mm-hmm. with uh, their song Think for a Minute. What do you think of that? I know it was an 80s song, so you're probably like, ugh, 80s. No, it was, it was pretty good. Oh, good. Glad yeah. you enjoyed it. Glad you enjoyed it. That was the band with uh, Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim, on bass and vocals. So um, let's move on then. Okay. Let's move on to our next song. Okay. This is Blitz and Trapper. Okay. From their third album, which is called Wild Mountain Nation from 2007. And I think this, well, I read a description of this album, and I think this describes the song that we're going to play next. So I'm just going to give this description now. This song is Lo-Fi Psychedelic Prog Rock Power Pop Alt Country Indie Rock Jam Fest. And this is uh, The Green King Sings. And let's give it a listen, everybody. So when you when I hear the words the Green King in a song, mm-hmm. I immediately think that it has something to do with like pagan stuff. Okay. I think of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But isn't the Green Knight like a representation of like Sir Gawain is Christianity versus the Green Knight who is represents paganism? I don't think so. Oh. Is that a thing? Well, that's what uh, the King Arthur is about, right? The spread of Christianity into hmm. Britain. Interesting. I don't yeah, I don't remember that from my university English class where we read Sir Gwen and the Green Knight. You're parsing of it? Oh, okay. Maybe that's just my own take. Anyway, I have an individual take on King Arthur, everybody. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, but I mean, like many of these things, there's not one single interpretation that's correct, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And has had various meanings at different times in the history. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's give a listen to The Green King Sings. This is Blitz and Trapper.
All right, and we're back after that little uh, bit of noise rock to end the song with a, with a bit of, you know, just distorted guitars just to hang on for, you know, 40 seconds or whatever just to make you feel uncomfortable. Right, of course. Yeah, it's just there just to yeah. ill at ease. Um, what do you think of this song, Mary? I liked it. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought it was fun. Oh, I'm surprised because it's a very odd song. It's oddly put together. Yeah. Obviously, it starts off with a kind of a, well, I don't know if you call it alt-country, sort of folky kind of sound, mm-hmm. and then it... Kind of goes its own way mm-hmm. into, through various phases of lo-fi, yeah, indie rock, yeah, and then ends with a bit of noise, noise rock. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, what the hell? Sure, why not? But I love a song that I really personally I enjoy songs that uh, have that kind of section element to them, where there's yeah. various different musical styles kind of. You like a, a book of short stories, but a song. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want to. I just like you know keeps my um my boredom. My low boredom threshold. Right. It's basically like watching um, like YouTube videos instead of watching a movie or a TV show. Yeah. You know, that's a good point, actually, because doing that actually is a rather unsatisfying feeling if you do it for a while. Watching YouTube videos? Yeah. I hate watching YouTube videos. I don't mind watching a couple. I don't. I hate it. I can't. Really? I, just, I, have, I get no interest from, yeah. from it because they're so short mm. and like not... I mean, like even if they're like well-produced... Yeah. They're not really well produced. It's often just someone sitting and talking, yeah. which I don't have find much interest in. I think it's like an ADD thing to like YouTube videos, <laughs> which is anecdotal, but I'm basing that off of two people I know who have ADD tendencies who watch a lot of YouTube videos. Okay. And neither of whom listen to this podcast. But so you okay. <laughs> but you have been you have been watching a lot of YouTube videos lately. Yes. I've just been, well, I've been just, just been watching one person's YouTube videos. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Are you getting the same experience from doing that, though? No, I do find his to be good. Oh, okay. But they're also generally longer. So he has, at the very beginning of his YouTube career, this is um, Drew Gooden. Yeah. He, um, who became famous because of that vine. I don't know. You don't know that one? No. It's like a sign that says, Roadwork Ahead. And then it, it, he says... Uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's the one that like everyone knows him from. Mm. Um, but yeah, he also has a YouTube channel. Yeah. And you showed me his videos first. Mm-hmm. You and Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I've been watching a lot of them recently. But yeah, like near the beginning of his YouTube career, yeah. he had a lot of ones that were more like his vines where they were like sort of shorter, just like jokey things. Because he did come from Vine, right? So he's yeah. more used to making that sort of shorter content. Yes. So they would be like a minute or five minutes long. I tried watching a couple of them. I was like, nah, this is not for me. But he does <laughs> often does ones that are like 15, 20 minutes long mm-hmm. or longer that are like commentaries yeah. on things. I like those. Yeah. Because I feel like there is. But his videos are also very well produced, I find. Like he, it's not just him sitting and talking. He does tend to incorporate in other stuff, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, yeah, he's also just often talking about things that I, like, don't know anything about. So it's just interesting to be like, who, yeah, who is this Jake Paul guy? Why is everyone talking about him? What's his deal? Yeah. Why is he terrible? Yeah. Tell me, Drew, tell me what's going on on YouTube, because I don't pay attention. <laughs> That's fine. You don't have to, you don't have to make excuses for your inconsistencies. Mary. I'm not making excuses for my inconsistencies. Yeah, I think everyone will agree with me when, when I say that, that Mary mm-hmm. is making excuses for her okay, inconsistencies. She has just told rude. us. How much she dislikes YouTube, and yet, as I pointed out to her, she has been watching YouTube yeah. quite a bit lately. Yeah. Just that one guy. Yep. But um, You tend to obsess, though. I do, yeah. So I've watched all of his videos now. I've seen 10. Yeah, I like him, so he's funny. I haven't watched his videos that he does with other people, because I don't find them as interesting. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, no, I am very obsessive. But yeah, like, um, sometimes me and Duncan or me and Eve will watch like cooking videos, especially like Maddie Matheson ones, mm-hmm. but I never watch them on my own. Like the other yesterday, Duncan was like, oh, have you watched the new Maddie Matheson video? And I was like, no, <laughs> I haven't watched any of his videos except for the ones I've watched with you. Yeah. Because I've tried watching them and I just don't find them very interesting. Yeah. Because A, I don't find cooking very interesting, but also it's just like, wh- what's the point, you know? Yeah. It's just like a 20 minute or like 15 minute or whatever. And then it's over. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that was that. <laughs> he cooked a thing, I guess. I'll never do that. But all right. He made some jokes. That was pretty fun. Not enough. <laughs> For me, too much cooking, but <laughs> he, do, he does tend to be more joke-based than cooking-based, though, generally. Maddie Matheson. Yeah, it seems to be the humor of discomfort more than more than anything. Yeah. It's kind of an odd, oddly, tech, oddly, oddly, I don't want to say textured, but has a weird tone to the show. Yeah. It's kind of strange. Anyway. Mary. Yes. We have talked about Blitz and Trapper in the past. We have. We've listened to We've listened to a songs. couple, a couple yep. of songs, at least. And so I feel... No desire to go into any more about them. Other than to say, this is from the band's third album, as I think I may have mentioned. And then I gave you a descriptor for it, and I think that's pretty accurate for the entire album. It's not bad, but I prefer their more polished later stuff. I think it is, but, that, you know, there's some good stuff on it. Like this song, for instance, that I use on this mix. All right. So, um, how about we move to a bit of CanCon? <gasps> CanCon? I, I don't think we've had at all for this for this uh, CD. Have we not? For this mixtape? No, I don't think we had any last time. We didn't have any Sloan? No Sloan. No Local Rabbits? I had, No Local Rabbits. I had, I had actually intended to put a Sloan song on here, but I ended up taking it off. Which one? Uh, Pen Pals. Oh, why? Why did you take it off? I didn't want to have Sloan on anymore because I felt like I would overused them. That's dumb. <laughs> you hadn't overused them with this with this guy. That's fine. Pen Pals. I put on them. Um, I put on Fountains of Wayne. It's not the same. I, More people fine. know Fountains of Wayne than No Sloan, especially people in the States. This person from England is from England. Oh. Then you should put on both. <laughs> Okay, Mary. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is. But our I mean, camp. like realistically, Sloan never had they. Sloan never had a um, Stacy's mom. Mm-hmm. They never did. No, it's true. So people will know Fountains of Wayne because you know you'll say they'll be like you'll be playing them and they'll be like oh this is good who's this and you say Fountains of Wayne and they're like um and you're like oh they did Stacy's mom and they're like oh yeah they did do Stacy's mom that's a great song and you're like of course it is it's fantastic they're great do people know that song i don't know anything about everyone it. knows that song okay yeah that's good i'm glad that i'm glad that we found had a big song Stacy's mom mm-hmm. we played it at my grade 7 um grad dance thing, okay which okay. thinking back grade 7 grad dance is a weird thing to do but we had it and we played this song we yeah. played that song yeah. and then when i was in grade 8 i took a um one of my elective courses was like a film studies kind of course. They okay. made like a, we had a really good video production um, program at my, my high school. Yeah. We were like a very arts focused school and a very sports focused school. Well, that must've caused some conflict. No, it didn't. That's lucky. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, and we watched, we were talking about music videos and we watched the music video for Stacy's mom, hmm. which I had not seen before, but I had heard the song. <laughs> many times we also watched um when kanye interrupted taylor swift at the grammys or whatever okay yeah and what what did you think of that i didn't know who either of them were <laughs> so i was like oh, okay <laughs> i watched the taylor swift documentary mm-hmm. that was on amazon miss prime america Mer- miss america miss americana i don't know what it's called but or is um, that the netflix one i don't know anyway 
Anyway, I watched, watched, and they they had they showed it there. That's the first time I'd seen it. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. But what do I know? It seemed rude. Yeah, it does seem rude. She was like pretty young at the time too. Yeah, right? it's just a young girl, and then this big big giant guy climbs up on stage yeah. and pushes her off the microphone. Big big giant guy who we now know is pre- pretty pretty uh, certifiably crazy. <laughs> Possibly. Very, has some pro- it has some issues. He tried running for president. Well, remember that, that? That doesn't mean you're crazy. Well, it doesn't the way that he went went about it. <laughs> oh, yes, that was crazy. He was like, "Oh, I'm gonna run for president," and everyone was like, "Um, okay." And then he was like, "You know what? It seems like it would be pretty hard, so I think I'm just not gonna do it." Like, yeah, of course it's gonna be hard to run for president. Did you think it was gonna be easy? What is that, was your? Is that what really happened? Yeah, he was like, "Ah, I like know. I tried like filling out all the paperwork, but it was, just seemed really difficult, so I'm just not gonna not gonna do it." Because it wasn't a money thing. He has a lot of money. Doesn't he have people who work for him? To do such such menial you'd, tasks? You'd think, but I mean, I think he still had to do a fair amount of the stuff. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. I think you get us to sign someone. Fred, you you go do that for me. Yeah, but then next thing you know, Fred's president. <laughs> <laughs> That's an issue. I don't think there was much fear of him. Uh, I think more destructive were people like dum-dums like Ice Cube going to President Trump and saying, I think he's got some good ideas. Oh, yeah. He listened to my ideas. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, that is. I'm sure he really listened. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm president, I'll have a red button like President Trump too. Yeah, and it's gonna bring me iced tea <laughs> iced on tea. iced tea on tap. <laughs> He's ice cube though. He doesn't drink iced tea. He hates iced tea. Why? Because he associates Cause he, it with. Because he would melt in it. No, because the, the rival. <laughs> That's a problem too. I was thinking because of the rival rapper Ice T. Oh, Ice Cube's not a rapper, isn't he an actor? He started as a rapper. I didn't know that. Oh, I guess it makes sense why his name is Ice Cube. What's great is that he was in actors don't usually have names like that. He was in a band called Body Count that that was like a a heavy metal kind of a band kind of thing. And then he had a song in there about killing police. Mm -hmm. Then I like the fact that now he plays a policeman on Mm, TV. Yeah. What's that about? Hello. Not not playing that song anymore. No. (laughs) Yeah. Not that he's making not now that he's making bank off of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to our CanCon, Mayor. Okay. This is uh, Hey Rosetta. Because you know who's not Canadian? Who is not Canadian? Ice Cube. Ice Cube is not Canadian. Also Kanye. Is You're not correct. Canadian. You're Taylor right. Swift. Taylor Swift. Um, Fountains of Wayne. Yeah. Ice T. But you know who yeah. is Canadian? Yeah. My um, film teacher in grade eight. There you go. Who I've briefly mentioned thank goodness so at least that, that story had some canadian content that story <laughs> somehow related to the fact that we're gonna play a canadian band next yep who are called i'm hoping i can say the name before marion trust me again you gotta be quicker than that dad <laughs> just trying to give you a gap just in case you had something more to add no that was i'm good okay you can say it now this is hey anything else Mar? hey Ros- hey rosetta okay with her song welcome this comes from their album seeds that came out in 2011 everybody so here we go the Listen to Hey Rosetta and enjoy this song. You'll be a bright light coming out of the dark. All the doctors blinking hard. You'll be lightning coming out of the storm. It's a message, it's a Eyes. 
What's this song called? This song is called Welcome. Mm. And Mary, I imagine you have some thoughts about this song. Why? Why do you think that? Well, I wonder if you have feel a personal connection to this song. Um, Do I feel a personal connection to this song? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, really? It's like a song that I recognized. Okay. Because I've heard it before. Yeah. And I wasn't, but I wasn't sure where I'd heard it from. You've said that you guys play it or that you like it and mom likes it. Yeah. But yeah, like, is that it? Is that how I know the song? Well, you tell me what you think about it, then we'll talk about it. Okay. Um, I'll do the big reveal after. Oh, all right. Uh, I like it. Okay. It's cute. Yep. Uh, it's kind of sappy, <laughs> just like you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, burn. It's true. Um, you've said it's it was written for the singer's kid or something? Wasn't for his daughter? F- wasn't written for his kids. It was written for some uh, friends of his who were having a child. Oh, okay. And so, and they actually live in Victoria, B.C., and that's he, near where we live. That's very near where we live. And he wrote it. Well, actually, they were joking around one night. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, they're like talking to the baby in the womb. And they're like, don't come out, little baby, because it's a cool, cruel world out here. Right. You're better staying inside where it's nice and warm and it's not cold. And yeah. they're just joking around stuff like that. And he says, so it's sort of about that. But he said, it's also about like the courage I felt about my friends bringing a life into the world. 
And it feels like such a risky thing to do to like undertake the care and love and maintain this little, little being, you know, you don't really think about it, of course, until it's happening to you, but you've suddenly taken on this huge amount of responsibility. Yeah. But yeah, it's because uh, usually, you know, the, the, the preamble is so much fun that you forget that there's going to be a life, like a lifetime of labor right. associated with it after. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, but, yeah, I mean, I think that people should definitely think more about having kids before they have kids. Well, you know, you got to play it as it lays. You can't always plan for the... I mean, I'm making excuses for myself here, Mary. Mm. I mean, ideally. Yeah. But then, you know. But I mean, like, I think people shouldn't have kids if they feel like they are not equipped to take care of kids. And I don't think that people should have kids if they, just because they feel like their family wants them to have kids. No, no, that's fair. You know? No, no, I don't think there should be pressure to have children. But I think once you've made that, once you've got the ball rolling. Well, yeah, I mean, once you've made the decision <laughs> to, like, have a kid, you uh... then you're having a kid. You can't be like, well, this first four years are pretty fun, but I'm getting pretty tired of this. But that's the thing, right? Like, you want, to, I think that you need to, like, make that decision before... You have a kid, right? Mm-hmm. You need to like know yourself and know if you're a person who can take care of kids before you have a kid. Yeah. Because some people want to have kids because they think that they want to have kids sure. as opposed to wanting to have kids because they are people who can take care of kids. Yeah. You know? I thought you'd remember this song because your mom used this as a soundtrack for like picture, picture like for a birthday picture um, f- p- movies or whatever when you're younger. Oh, she yeah. She put, put, which I thought was really kind of funny since the song has kind of a... It has sort of a dark twist in the middle of it where it's talking about like your 30s being this sort of dark time and it's cold and, and uh, you know, the, all your all your dreams and stuff like that have come are like falling down around you like so much, you know, ash from a from a house burning. Well, that explains my <laughs> life right now. It's just obviously just following the track of this song. <laughs> and so I thought it was sort of funny, you know, like these teenage kids who like are looking forward with like such guileless hope to the future and stuff like that. And then there's a song playing along to pictures of themselves as they grow older, you know, <laughs> baby, it's cold outside. Ooh, do come out here. Oh boy. People are mean. Oh, I don't know if you can take it. They're like, this is the best it's going to get for yeah, you, kid. Right. Your glory years are over now. It's all downhill. Which isn't true, but you know. I don't know. At lunch today, you and I were talking about how I think I'm getting dumber as I get older. I think I'm Benjamin Buttoning. Why do you think you're getting dumber? I don't know. I just think I am. Mm, I doubt it very I much. Don't think I, I don't think my brain works anymore. No, I think that's wrong. Okay. Yeah, it's entirely wrong. All right. This works differently. Mm. That doesn't mean you're dumber. Works worse. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's funny. So, uh, someone kindly did an edit of the first season, uh, some of the first season of, of various things they liked from of Sneaky Dragon. Oh, yeah. And sent it to us. And I was listening to it and I was like, man, we were good then. What happened to us? But you just can't judge yourself that way because you don't, you know, you're going to look back at yourself in 10 years and you'll be like, man, I was a smart cookie when I was 25. Why am I such a dummy now when I'm 35? <laughs> um, Dad, I'm 26. Well, generally. Yeah, you no. You know what I meant. I, I, I get it. You don't in, know how old I, I am. Speaking in generalities. <laughs> It's not like mad at you. It's sort of a universal you. I was joking, Dad. I'm not. I'm really offended that you wouldn't know. I had no idea she was 26. Um, are you sure you're 26? Yes. Where were you born? 1994? Yep. That would make you 26. Yep. Hmm. So did you know this band was from Newfoundland, Mary? No. This is the first band we've played from Newfoundland. It's the second band I really? know from Newfoundland. Okay. Who's New- the other one? The Hardship Post. I don't know Who that. are a 
Sloan era Halifax band. They moved mm. moved from St. John's, Newfoundland and moved to St. John, Halifax, just so they wouldn't have to change their address too much. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They said to cross the S off. Right. They searched all over the city <laughs> for the same address. <laughs> from St. John's to St. John. Yep. It's one of those confusing parts of, of back east. Yeah. Which St. John are we? <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're basically a five piece. Okay. But as you can tell from the song, they augment their sound quite a bit. And I think the band works in kind of an arcade fire kind of style, you know, with that kind of big bombastic sound to the song. Yeah. And then you get kind of quiet for a bit and then you get bombastic again, which is pretty arcade fire-ish. I understand. I've not really heard too much that I like by them, but your mom was terribly taken by them when they first started. Mm. To yeah, I had some friends in high school who liked them. Mm. She saw them live like at a small club. And I think that was like a great way to see a band like that. That's mm, yeah. That's become like an arena rock band. Their shows must have been really big in a small, yeah. small place. Well, yeah, like when we saw... Um, Mariana's Trench mm. in a really small place yeah. in Langley at like, I'm pretty sure it was like 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> they were opening for some other band. Okay. that And they, Mariana's Trench just like totally blew away this other band. Oh, really? But there was like a whole bunch of people who were just there for them. Mm. They were like there, they like came, yeah. were there for Mariana's Trench and then they were like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. It's kind of rude, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're not interested in the main in the main yeah. guys, why stick around? Got to vote with your feet sometimes. Yeah, you paid for your ticket. They got their money. <laughs> so, uh, one interesting thing about this album is that it's produced by Tony Dugan, mm. who you will know from Mary doesn't know where he's. Uh, he's produced uh, Bell and Sebastian, oh, basically from their first album all the I way up to. I knew his um, name was familiar. Yeah, all the way to this before Dear Catastrophe Waitress. Right. They, they decided to move on and, and use other sounds. But uh, yeah, he worked with them extensively. And so I think because the main guy in this band, his name is Tim Baker, he wanted like a big, he wanted a big and a bigger, more orchestral sound, but he also wanted an intimate sound. Right. He wanted kind of this combination of the two. And he yeah. thought that Dugan would help him with that. I guess he liked that aspect of... of bon Sebastian. Bell, bon Sebastian, yeah. And yeah, so there you go. Cool. That is all I have to say about Hey Rosetta whose name may or may not be inspired by the Rosetta Stone. Cool. I mean, that's the first thing I think of when I hear Rosetta. Hey, Rosetta? Well, no, but I just want to hear Rosetta. Yeah. Yeah. You think the Rosetta Stone? Yes. I, I would agree with you. Of course. What else would you think of? <laughs> Some person named Rosetta? Nah. The That language course? The online language course? Nope. Which is based off of the Rosetta Stone, so it's like the same thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, yeah, I'm more think of the stone, although I have no idea what it looks like. The Rosetta Stone? Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not actually a stone. I mean, it's a stone, but it's not just a stone. It's a stela. It's like a small obelisk. Yeah. That would have been like a roadside marker. Yeah. But yeah, it's like a big, big rock and it's kind of jagged on top. I oh, think. it got broken? And then it's got like text and then it's got like three chunks of text in three different languages. Yeah. I think it's got Egyptian hieroglyphics, mm -hmm. ancient Greek, mm. and then Demotic. But it's like one, two, three, like down. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. That's how they're able to translate between yeah. those two languages that mm -hmm. like, figure out more about hieroglyphics because of that. Yes. And I think demonic is like a lower, like a kind of a... a um, vernacular? Vernacular Egyptian. Right. Anyway, that's that's a Rosetta Stone for you. Yep. Okay. In case you, I don't know, missed grade seven history. <laughs> it's been a while for me. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's move to another song, Mare. Okay. Okay, this is a song. This is Damien Harado, mm -hmm. who I like to say is has the saddest voice in, in music. Okay. And this song is called Metallic Cloud from his album, Brothers and Sisters of the Eternal Sun. Not S-U-N Sun, but S-O-N Sun, as if a, a son-in-law or something like that, from 2014. Mm. So let's give a listen, everyone. This is Metallic Cloud. Mm. 
was on fire so we pulled the cake How does it taste with your mouth from your face? That was Damien Hirado with Metallic Cloud and Mary. Yes. Thoughts on Damien Hirado, the man with the saddest voice of music? I like this song. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is good. It's really good. It's nice. It really creeps up on you. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Fleet Foxes. Okay. And I thought it kind of sounded like something that you could hear on The Peak. Sure. I don't think it gets that kind of airplay, but that would be yeah, nice, nice I, if you I did. I doubt it, but it did. It had that kind of vibe mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me, which is like our indie um music station around here yeah yeah so called i think it plays less of this kind of that kind of music than it used to yeah yeah you used, used to hear like oh, hey, hey rosetta on that station but i don't think he would mm-hmm. know but yeah these well i mean like they i mean they you know they're still leaning towards mainstream kind of stuff right like they played a lot of um what's that song pumped up kicks or whatever don't know what that means you know that song I do not know it. You know that song. If I was to play that song, you would know that song. All right. I'll take your word for it. You would know it. Okay. Um, it was everywhere for a couple of years. But I can see what you mean. Like, he, he's also from Seattle, Washington, so he could have been an influence on on uh, Fleet Foxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, like I say, he's Seattle-based, and he started started uh, record like recording his own cassette tapes Okay. on his own la- pretend like house in-house label called Casa right. Recordings. House? Casa Recordings. Yep. In-house. Um which he sold around town and in the mid-90s. And then uh, a, a guy from another band called Sunny Day Real Estate, kind of one of the 
grunge bands that were signed to the Sub Pop recommended him to, to the Sub Pop label because, of course, Sub Pop at this point, um, as I think I said in the past, flush with grunge money, uh, were looking to expand their palette of sound. You know, they I think they felt a they had a lot of money in their pockets because of you know selling Nirvana to to Geffen and then you know having Soundgarden and Mudhoney and having all these sort of bands that you know were coming coming to make it huge you know, at least having their kind of early stuff on their label really, really pumped up, really gave them a lot of money in, in their coffers. But I don't think they, I think they also recognize that, you know, trends are trends and eventually the bottom's going to drop out of the grunge market. Yeah. And then what do you have left? You just got a bunch of, you know, vinyl with a lot of noisy guitar songs on mm-hmm. it and not much, not, and no one wants it. Yeah. So, you know, they signed Damien Hirado. They did some signings of Canadian bands. You know, they scooped up, you know, all the bands they could in Halifax. Right. They signed Super, uh, Zampano here in, mm-hmm. in uh, Vancouver, and Eric Matthews, of course, mm-hmm. and then they also brought in Damien Hirado, too, as well. And so... It's um, good that they, unlike um, Geffen, realized that grunge was um, not going to last forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, Geffen's a bigger company. They, they had, like, lots of different artists on their roster. No, I know. I'm just thinking about Sloan. Oh, yeah. Being yeah. stuck. Getting in trouble for not sticking yeah. to the grunge like, as if, playbook. Yeah. As if that would... Um, as if, yeah, sticking with one genre and like, especially with one that is very easily dated, yeah, like yeah. grunge, mm-hmm. um, rather than like diversifying your sound would be a, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So he recorded four albums for Sub Pop before moving to the fabulously named Secretly Canadian label, which is not a Canadian record company, hmm. but I guess they're secretly Canadian. Right. Uh, he recorded 10 albums for them. Including this one, Brothers and Sisters of the Eternal Sun, which is a sort of sequel to the previous album, which was called Maricopa. And both of them are produced by uh, Portland, Oregon producer Richard Swift. I guess in Maricopa, it tells the story of a man who leaves his home with no identification, uh, desiring to disappear entirely. And in Brothers and Sisters, the story, he tells a story about a man who disappears on a search for himself and never returns, kind of disappears into a, into a religious cult, never to, should be, never to be seen again. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, he seems to he seems to mine a deep seam of melancholy, melancholy in his music, right? And like I say, he has a saddest voice in music. So, but he's one of those weird. He's kind of like we played. Remember, we played "Portrait" by Richard Buckner a couple of mixtapes ago, and he's another guy who's the same. That he's the very delicate singer songwriter, mm-hmm. but a hulking man, right? Same with same with Damien Hirado. Hmm. Like you listen to his voice, he sounds like you know he just sounds like a guy. Like, yeah, you don't know what he's going to look like, but it turns out no, he's a guy who like. You know, it's just like this hulking grizzly bear of a man who's like hunched over this tiny guitar playing these very delicate songs. It's amazing to see. His third album, which wasn't released on Sub Pop, but on a different Seattle-based label called Made in Mexico, is a weird album. And I think kind of reflects his songwriting style and his, and where he's coming from. Because what it was, was it's called Postcards and Audio Letters. And what it is, is it's a collection of edited um sound recordings that Hirado found in thrift stores over the years and so they're tape he would just buy like cassette tapes or, or like pre-recorded cassette tapes or or um reel-to-reel tapes and listen to them and, mm-hmm. and he just found like uh answering machine messages or recorded correspondence people who would like send audio letters to each other and he made a record out of them cool and it's yeah it's kind of really voyeuristically interesting well, this is my whole life. This is my feeling about everything. Whenever I drive like through an area that's being developed, you know, when you see like old farmhouses and stuff and they're all being, they're just all like boarded up. Yeah. And there's signs saying, you know, this area has been, 
you know, where they, where do they call it when they development put, proposal? Well, when they put a bunch of lots together, you know, to build to build townhouses. Oh, like a, a subdivision. Con- yeah, but it's not a subdivision because that's houses and stuff like that. This is like where they aggregate a bunch of properties into one, right? Under one, yeah. Uh, Development. So, like, one thing. person can own it and make a um, hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, selling right. all those properties. Yeah. Well, they don't sell, but they yeah they sell all the condo development that happens. So, say they'll tear down uh, an area of twelve uh, area of twelve houses, mm-hmm. and then they'll put in like a condo tower in that area. I can't remember what it's called. There's a name for it, but I can't remember. Um, yeah. So, so I was thinking about this. So, Woody Allen says time plus tragedy equals comedy. Mm-hmm. So you can make you know, have to allow a certain amount of time to pass before something becomes funny. You right. can make a joke about it. But I was thinking that time plus life equals tragedy. You know, so yeah. So when you listen to these audio tapes, they're like these snippets of people's lives from like some of them are, t- are a recording of a couple who wrote back and forth to each other from 1972. Oh, okay. And another one is this very shy person uh, calling this girl on a leaving messages for this girl on a on answering machine. Mm-hmm. And then there's one where she actually answers and they're talking back and forth and she's really sleepy. She sounds really cute and he's trying to talk to her and he's very nervous. <laughs> but they're just snippets. Yeah. And you have no context to what happened next or what happened. You know what I mean? And so it just it's, it has a very melancholy feel to it for yeah. me. I just feel like, and I feel the same way about like when I look at houses being developed, when I look at those houses, I don't see like, oh, there's an old house that's going to get knocked down. I, I look and go, oh, imagine the family that lived in that house for years. Yeah. And the kids coming, running in and out of the house and mm-hmm. going to school and coming home to, the, to you know, Yeah, to and like how much and... the people, like, loved that house and yeah. how much the house loved them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I was reading this thing on the internet the other day that said this person was buying a Roomba. Yeah. And um, they were, when they bought this Roomba, they were told by the, like, woman at the store, um, she said, you know, if, if anything in it breaks... There's a warranty on it, so you can send it in and get a new one. Mm-hmm. But if you if you ask, they will just replace the part and send you the same Roomba back. This okay. person was like, what? And the woman at the store said, well, a lot of the time people get attached to their Roomba, right? And they don't want yeah. they don't want to get a new one. They want to keep the one that they have yeah. because people get attached to stuff, right? Yeah. Like yeah. people name their cars and like there's all these things that we own that, you know, you like attach life to it. Because mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah. 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 And just, and it's just, it's just uh, sad because time devalues people. You know, like we, yeah, we fade into the past and we just become a moment, an unimportant moment in another in another person's life. You know. Mm-hmm. So when you drive past that house and it's being torn down, you know, unless you're a weirdo like me, your thought isn't. Oh, those poor, <laughs> poor house. Yeah. Oh, the 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 lives and and laughter and love that was in that house that's all gone now. It's so mm-hmm. sad. You know, you're just kind of like zoop past it, and there it is. That's just it's nothing. It's nothing yeah. to, to most people. And uh, yeah, I just find that incredibly melancholy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's just me. Also, architectural tragedies to lose <laughs> that. You know. Well, yeah, to lose, yeah, to lose. Um, you're losing history. You're losing history, like Hazelmere. Uh, and Langley were once full of these old houses that were called bachelor farmhouses. And the reason they're called that is because they were owned by farmers who moved out here, usually from Europe. Mm-hmm. And the intention was to come out here, start a farm, and then have their their significant other follow them. Yeah. And usually, what would happen is they would come out here. Not usually, often. What often would happen? They would come out here, work really hard, get everything all set up, and then mm-hmm. right back, and it turned out the person had moved on with their life. Yeah. In the, in the, She's like, it's been years. four years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fell in love with someone else. And yeah. so 
And so this person wouldn't really have an opportunity to meet anybody because mm-hmm. it's all men out here. It's all men out here. They're in similar circumstances. Yeah. In those days, you know, it was hard to get around. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, not everyone had cars, not everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, that's why there were community halls that were like a mile from your house in yeah. most areas, because that's where you, you tended to go to, to meet other people. Yeah. King George um, wasn't collecting up a bunch of women and mailing yeah. them out West. Yeah. Like, um, like France did. So these houses tended to consist of four rooms, mm-hmm. a bedroom, two bedrooms, mm-hmm. a living room, and a kitchen, mm-hmm. and usually a, sometimes a bathroom. But often the bathroom would be an outhouse. outhouse yeah. yeah, and so and that's just they were just this area is full of them, just so full of them. But they're all gone now, mm-hmm. partly because they are condemned because they don't meet code anymore. Yeah, and also they're hard to have a family in, and they're hard to have a family in. And yeah. So yeah, the natural urge is just to knock them down. But it's sad to lose that bit of history as mm-hmm. well. I mean, those were once places that. The people inhabited as well, so yeah, it does. It does does get to me. I like to. I really like to look at um, real estate listings, but often it will just make me too sad. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> just get really like depressed after looking at houses, and I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Really? Yeah. You have a bit of me in you, do you? Yeah. Thanks. So, sorry, Thanks. dear. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. No, it's okay. That's a, a sentimental. Types with all their exposed nerve endings. Yeah, right. All right. Let's listen to another song before, I was, before we I, both cry I ourselves was, uh, to sleep. <laughs> I was doing a history talk at work on Friday. And yeah. I, almost, I almost started crying a couple times. What were you talking about? <laughs> and Frank. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. that's very emotional, of course. Yeah. Huh? Especially when you're talking when you're talking in front of people, your your emotions tend to get a little bit more more uh, heated. Yeah. I'm really know, good so. at talking in front of people, though. Yeah. So I don't really find that okay. usually. But yeah. I mean, I'm good at it now. I wasn't. So, always. Oh yeah, I wasn't when I was a teenager. I was terrible at it, but mm-hmm. yeah. I'm good at it now. You do a podcast. Yeah, but not in front of anyone, just you. That's fine. You still know people are listening. Yeah, I guess that's true. I did find I had to um, record some of my exercise classes that I run because mm-hmm. um, I'm doing the certification. Yeah. And I found that when I ha- when I knew that it was being recorded, I I was more anxious about it. Mm. But I recorded like a whole bunch of them, and I was like, okay, it's now it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Should we move on to another song? Yes. So this is Cargo from 1972. The song is I Love You Anyway from their self-titled album, Cargo. So let's give this song a listen, everyone. I think you'll like this song. I just want to put one, sorry, four words in your in, in your mind before I play okay. the song. The Beatles, Abbey Road. Let's give it a listen.
What did you think of the song I Love You Anyway by Cargo? Um, I didn't like the beginning. They didn't like the piano part? Nope. Huh. Um, I did like the singing. Yeah. So the song kind of picked up when the singing started. Yeah. Um, but I still didn't love it. Really? Yeah. Wow, I'm amazed. I love this song. I think the song is fantastic. And I reason I said The Beatles Abbey Road is I do think this exemplifies my oft-repeated statement that the... 1970s American music kind of got stuck on Abbey Road as like the the ultimate musical template, right? And had trouble breaking free of it. I mean, you think of this song with the 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 harmonies so so Abbey Road, and then the use of of the Moog synthesizer, uh, how it's used in the song, also very Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's obviously a winning part of the song for me is that the, the, the Beatles influence. But I just I love the the tune as well. I love the 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 singing and I love the song. And it's actually kind of unusual. It kind of stands out of the band's oeuvre, which is more kind of a southern rock style than it is a, a Beatles, you know, or a British Invasion style or right. you know, Beatles, Beatles influence. I mean, Beatles, the Beatles influence everyone. And these guys have a little bit of that, but they didn't really wear it on their sleeve as much as they do in this song. Yeah. Besides the opening, which is, I don't know why you don't like it. It's just a bit of piano playing, but okay. It's very long. It's almost a minute. That's fine. It's nice. It's a okay. Bit of, 
But jazz? I didn't like it very much. I don't like <laughs> jazz very much. All right. The band, Cargo, spelled C-A-R-G-O-E. Why? I guess apparently that is a antiquated way of spelling cargo. So I don't know why they did that. Interesting. They were, were originally named Rubbery Cargo, which is okay. a ridiculously silly name, I think. Yes, it is. They were part of Tulsa, Oklahoma's music scene, mm-hmm. such as it was, performing live at local clubs. So the band was keyboardist, guitarist Bill Phillips, bassist Max Wisley, or Wisely, I'm never sure how to pronounce the names like that, lead guitarist Tom Richard, and drummer Tim Benton. Hmm. Like I say, they played around town, but they played original songs. So that kind of, they weren't a covers act, so that made the it hard for them to get jobs as the club scene started to dry up because all four of the members of the band all, all contributed to songwriting. And so once, so once the scene died down, they kind of, uh, they kind of, you know, ended up in this real kind of a little bit of a doldrums and they were starting to like break up a little bit when they were invited by a friend named Rob Walker, who had been working in Tulsa, but had moved to Memphis and he was a radio DJ there. And, and so he invited them to move down to move to Memphis to see what he could do with his contacts. So, when they got there, through a connection with former box top producer Dan Penn, he was able to get the band an opportunity to record at Penn's beautiful sound studio in Memphis. So at this point, the band got rid of the rubbery adjective and <laughs> and this became cargo. And so the idea was that Rob, Rob Walker, the, the DJ, and um, a guy named Jim, who was another DJ that they knew, they had both kind of they both kind of like sort of undertook the management of the group and so it was decided they would produce the album and then beautiful would own the masters and that so and then they would recoup their expense by selling them to to a record company which sounds like a good plan until the record companies actually showed a lot of interest so they had a they recorded an entire album mm-hmm. and then both epic and atlantic records showed interest they wanted to buy the they wanted to buy the masters they wanted to release the album and sign the band but penn's business partners wanted to hold out for more advance money. Oh, okay. So during this time, Beautiful released a single. One side was a song called Wonderful, and the other side was a song called Feel All Right. And they released that on the, their own label, the Beautiful label. And although it went to number one in Memphis, the label itself didn't have the muscle to, or the national distribution to push the single along in and out, you know, right. beyond beyond that, that limited area. And so I don't know if the quote-unquote failure of the single kind of gave... Atlantic and Epic cold feet, but nothing seemed to happen around the band at this point. And in fact, none of those recordings have ever been issued. Hmm. So then, it's so weird to me when they do that. Yeah. Like, why don't you just put them out? Yeah. You know. Why don't you get mu- some money for them rather than yeah. no money? Yeah. Like you already sp- like you already spent all the money to have them made. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Like what's uh, whatever, and even just like a limited pressing or something, right? Sure. Yeah. But no. No. Never. <laughs> Never. Art now. Ardent Studio owner Jim Fry. And even now. Yep. Like, they still have that stuff. Yeah. Why Why don't you just do, like, a... Supposedly. It may have been lost over time. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, I mean, like, if you still had that and you're still, like, holding on to it, mm-hmm. why don't you just do, like, a very low-cost um, release? Unfortunately, it would not be low-cost. With the amount of time that's passed, all those tapes would have to get processed to, mm. be, to be used. Right. So they have to do a thing where they bake them. Oh, okay. They like literally bake the the tape so that it bakes on the the graphite. Right. That like the magnetic part of the the tape will allow them to like run it through one more time to oh, to digitize okay. it. And because over time that this stuff all kind of deteriorates. That's why it's that's why it might have might be gone now. It might have deteriorated beyond repair, or it might have just been thrown out during some cleaning. Like say beautiful 
studios probably are no longer in Memphis. They probably closed down. Right. And so when that happened, all the stuff got thrown out. Mm -hmm. So all the old tapes and stuff that were in there just got chucked chucked away or sold. Yeah. Bulk erased so they could be reused. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of things that can happen to to stuff to destroy it, unfortunately. That's true. Like I say, so now Arden Studios, which you know, you don't know you know them, but you know them. Okay, sure. Their owner, Jim Fry, had actually lent money to, to the band for them to buy some equipment. And so that kind of brought them into the orbit of Arden Studios, which was... Like, Jim Fry was an engineer par, par I was going to say something, par excellence, but that's not what I was trying to say. He, he, was, a, he was an engineer surpassed by no one in, right. his, his, in his technical ability. Like, he would make, like, the best studios. And so mm. he did that around town, and then he decided he was going to make his own mm-hmm. that would reflect his own interest in music. And so he put together Arden Studios. And unlike most of the studios in town, like Stax or American or Royal Studios, where Willie Mitchell recorded, um, Ardent and Jim Fry were... British music lovers. He loved British Invasion music. He loved British music. He loved the Hue. He loved the Kinks. He loved all those groups. And so the bands that tended to come around Ardent were people who were influenced by British music because that's what he liked and that's what he encouraged in, in, in the sounds and stuff like that. Cargo kind of found itself coming into that orbit of Ardent Studios. They began working there, began recording there, produced by the great Terry Manning. And they were recording exactly the same time as Big Star were recording their uh, debut album oh, okay. at Ardent. Yep. So the band basically recorded a new version of the album they'd already recorded at Beautiful. The same thing happened. The first single was Feel All Right, which had been their first single when they were with Beautiful. Yep. Beautiful had released a version of it. They released another version of, of it. It was doing well on the charts, really well on the charts. And the band began a tour of West of the West Coast. Unfortunately, Ardent Records were distributed by Stax Volt Records, which had a distribution which had distribution troubles. Oh. And also had gone to sp- had begun to spiral into bankruptcy. Right. And the same thing that happened to Big Star happened to Cargo, where even though people were interested in the music and wanted to buy the the records, they couldn't find it in stores. They couldn't find it in stores because what happened was, in order to recoup the losses, like the the debtors, the people who stacks owed money to, got the masters and they sold them to Columbia in order to recoup some of their losses. Right. And then Columbia lo- looked through the stuff and they they decided what they wanted to release. And so they didn't want to release Cargo, and they didn't want to release Big Star. So those albums were not available. And so instead of you know getting hits and kind of moving on up, and actually, when Arden made those albums, they they really thought that Cargo would be their their, their band. band. Yeah, yeah, they thought they were like the most commercial band that they had. But unfortunately, with all the disaster, Cargo disbanded shortly after the release of the album. That's unfortunate. And that was that. Yeah, it is too bad. They did get together later on and record record an album in 2010, which I've not heard, but but you know. The magic of a time period, it's hard to recapture, no matter what you do. But uh, Yeah, yeah so, I mean, especially so long after, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I thought, since we'll never hear it now, I thought I'd play... This has been this is recorded off the uh, the beautiful single, so someone's just recorded the single. This is the original Feel All Right that was recorded for beautiful, at Beautiful Sounds, and that was uh, only released as a single, and the album was not released. So let's give a listen to Cargo again. This is Feel All Right... From 1970, rather than the which rather than the later one, which came out in 72. This is the original version, everyone. If I'm not making myself clear, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but not being clear about it. All right, let's give it a listen. <laughs>
So that was Cargo with Feel All Right from 1970. And Mary, I would say that was more in like a kind of Southern rock style, more more rocky style anyway. Yeah, and definitely. More like um, sort of mainstream, yeah, like yeah. classic Yeah, classic rock, rock stuff. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. You can kind of see why. I mean, really good. It's one of those bands you listen to and you go, should have, should have, would have, I guess. Because if people had heard it, they probably would have liked it, but they didn't yep. get to hear it. So they didn't like it. Yeah. Which is too bad. Too bad for those bands that get so close. Mm-hmm. And then, but end up. In the Stax Volt Vortex. Yeah. And it's weird because Big Star become yep. like, same, the, both, both, same thing happens with both bands. Yeah. But Big Star become like cult heroes. Right. And Cargo just disappear entirely. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the difference is that Big Star stuck around, right? They stayed together as a band. Yeah, yeah. And then Cargo disbanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, Big Star stayed together for one more album. Right, but, you know. Well, but then even they didn't stick around because Chris Bell left after the first album too, so. Yeah. So you have a sort of different big star for the second album. Right. And then a really different big star for the for their third album, which went unreleased at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That's prob- that, I mean, that's pro- possibly why. I just... And maybe they just didn't spike, spark that, that you know, they're not quirky enough to be of cultic interest. You know what I mean? So right. You, if you don't get mainstream success, you're not going to get mainstream success from people who who are quirky or like yeah. quirky music. Whereas Big Star had a much different sort of sound, a much, you know, kind of more... I don't know how to describe it, but they're more playful and a little more artsy than than cargo. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Let's get let's get British. All right. This is the Lovin' from 1967. The song is called "Keep On Believing," and it came out as a single on Page One Records. So uh, let's give it a listen, everybody. <laughs> Wow. 
What do you think of Keep On Believing by The Loving? Well, when you first said that, I thought that you were talking about the song by Journey. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not a fan of that song. <laughs> Who is? But then you put pl- lots of people. Oh. Lots of people are fans of that song. Oh, dear. Um, they didn't, they, it wasn't, wasn't good enough for them. They escaped it the first time. They had to like put their stick their head up into the firing range one more time. Yes. It was very common. Idiots. It was a very common song. On wedding playlists, hmm. when I worked at the place we used to at camp when we did weddings there. Um, Weird. Is that the one that starts about a small town girl just yep. living in a? Okay. And all, also, it was often the final song of the night. They would play it like right before midnight to like end the night. Yeah. Don't stop believing by Journey. <laughs> all right. Sad sex. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this song. Yeah. Was not that song. No, it wasn't. And it was much better. Yeah, it was. It's a low bar, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. This song is better than that song by Journey that everyone knows. Um, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I thought it was catchy. Yes. Uh, what year did you say it came out? 1967. Yeah, it was a very 60s song. Mm-hmm. Right, at the heat, right, at the heat, right at the height of Freak Beat, which was kind of um, a transitional period between the beat music of the Beatles and... And their 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 ilk of mm-hmm. the early '60s, and then moving in t- out of that pop phase into more of a rock style. It's kind of so it kind of it's like a hard rock style that kind of bridged the pop time and then psychedelia. Right. So in between those two were these kind of rock bands, like this kind of the Who and the Creation would be other examples of freak beat freak beat sounds of that time period. And then everyone like threw away their guitars to play the sitar. But in between the, the, those times, this is like a pretty glorious time for, for rough hue and distorted, fun, poppy rock and roll. Yeah. So the Lovin' were originally, uh, the original name was The Children, but when they signed to Page One Records, their name was cha- changed by their label owner, manager, producer, Larry Page to The Lovin'. Hmm. I guess he thought that was more freak beatish rather than The Children, which is too old fashioned sounding. Right. Although I think The Children would have been like a really acceptable name like a year later when psychedelia became yeah the children sounds like a psychedelia band (laughs) yeah Yeah. yeah. uh they were Stuart moore uh, lead vocals rob duffy rhythm guitar steve taylor lead guitar ian day bass and mike jackson drums and uh the song was written by the songwriting team of jack price and terry dwyer who provided songs to other page one acts like the lute and the trogs do you know the trogs mary heard of them they did wild thing the mm, okay wild thing yeah. yeah um so like i said it was produced by larry page mm-hmm. for for his own label page yeah. records which he started with dick james dick james best known as the uh the lucky idiot who stumbled uh was stumbled onto the beatles when uh when his friend george martin sent brian epstein his way and said you might want to try um 
Dick James. He's a he's a good guy. Yeah. And Dick James said, I am a good guy. I'll only take a quarter percent of this band's output and put it in my pocket. <laughs> That's all. That's all I'll take. That's it. I mean, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to be pushing around a lot of paper for this band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know you guys are going to send me songs and I'm going to be like, what am I going to do with these songs? I'll have to like place them with other singers because there's no way your dumb band is going to make a bunch of money with their own songs. <laughs> You know, I'm doing all the hard work here. I deserve a quarter of the, of the money they're making. Hmm. So you're a fan, is what you're saying? Of Dick James? Yes. Not too big of a fan. <laughs> he also, uh, he's also not very nice to Elton John. Oh. So I don't like him. That's fair. That's what I'm saying. That's fair. I do like, however, that he was named he was named Dick Jaws in the re- in the Ruddles uh, oh. version of the Beatles retelling of the story. That's good. Which I think is a more accurate. Yeah, name more accurate name. Yeah, yeah. So Larry Page, who's also another. You know, barnacle on the music industry. He he began his career as a singer in the 1950s, billed as Larry Page, the Teenage Rage. Oh, that wasn't his name. His real name was Leonard Jones or something like that. And he, right. he, that's not very rock and roll. And his shtick was wearing oversized glasses. So he'd have these big giant glasses. And he was Larry Page, the Teenage Rage, uh, which he didn't really didn't really have any hits or anything of like that. He would go on to be co-manager of the Kinks. Okay. And then he would go on to manage the Trogs, producing their hit Wild Thing. Uh, what if it was his idea for the for them to play the ocarina in the song? <laughs> then, uh, so like I say, page one was home to the Trogs, home to a band called Plastic Penny, as well as Vanity Fair. And after it folded, Page would then go on to start a different label called called um, Penny Farthing Records, and it and it would put out bands that were even worse than the bands I'm talking about here. Although I think the Love One's great, but if you listen to stuff from like Plastic Penny, they're okay. They're kind of organ based, which I'm not a huge fan of that kind of organ sound, the Hammond organ. Yeah, uh, sound of, of that t- time period. So I think they're just so-so. And Vanity Fair are very annoying. Not a fan? Very annoying band. Extremely annoying. I mean, I'm okay if they come up in a mix, but I would never like go, you know what I'm going to listen to? I'm going to listen to some Vanity Fair. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, the Eleven released two singles on page one. N- neither of them were successful, so that was kind of the end for them. And then with the help of Reg Presley, the lead singer guitarist for the Trogs, they changed their identity. They became the Nerve, the Noive, and then they... Became more of a pop act. The nerve. Yeah, the not nerve. the nerves. Not the nerves. Or the worms, if not, you prefer. Not the worms. <laughs> they, not the nerve. But they became the nerve, and they became more of a pop act. But once again, I got to say, not much good. They didn't do any songs that were any good as no. the nerve. Nothing worth reporting. But keep on believing is great. And, yeah. And they did do another song. Their other single they did as as the love, and it's also really good. I just didn't put it on a mix, but it is really good as well. Keep on believing. Sorry, keep on believing sounds like. Um, a TV show is making fun of Don't Stop Believing and is doing like a version of it that's just off. That's right. Written by Adam Schlesinger. Yeah. Or like in Gravity <laughs> Falls, there's an episode where Mabel sings a song called um, Keep Stopping Unbelieving or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Well, speaking of the nerves, Mary. Uh-huh. Our next song is... The Worms? The Nerves. <gasps> what? Get the their Nerves. Name right. get, their na- get their name right. This it is- did. This is from 1976, from their single EP. 1976? Their one release, the Nerves EP. What's that, sorry? 1976, yeah. Okay, cool. What do you think? Was it 1876? Yep, I thought it was 1876, exactly. (laughs) On a wax cylinder. (laughs) I thought it was 1576, passed down from family to family. (laughs) Here we go. The Nerves with Green Sleeves. (laughs) Or a song that changes the lyrics to Green Sleeves. It sounds exactly the same. Didn't everyone do that over and over again? Yeah. I know there's like three Christmas carols that use green sleeves as the yeah as the lyrics. 
or with when lyrics. you find out how great I am, <laughs> you will regret leaving me. <laughs> anyway, this is the nerves with when you find out. Okay. <laughs> Silly. Try to explain, but you don't see. No one can give you more love than me. You say you're waiting for just the right one. You'll try to find me when he lets you down. When you find out I was the one. When you find out I was the one. This is the last time I'm gonna try. I still want you, but I'll say goodbye. You say you're waiting for just the right one. You'll try to find me when he lets you down. When Mare. Yes. Thoughts on when you find out. I like this song. Damn good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I thought it was fun. I thought it was catchy. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Why did they break up? That's a a question. It is a question. Too much talent in one group, I think, is a problem. They just could not. They're all pulling in different directions. And I also think that because of the nature of how they did what they did, which was to do it all themselves, Mm, they weren't just, you know, they they weren't just playing and, and, you know, going to clubs and playing. They were booking their own. Right. They were booking t- their shows. Yeah. They were making their own records. They were producing yeah. them themselves. They were paying for them themselves. They were distributing them themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot to ask a band to do. It and is. If it only falls on one person, which it seems to have fallen on the shoulders of Paul Collins. Right. The, the drummer, who is kind of the go-getter in the group. I think I think that kind of weighs on you after a while. And it makes mm-hmm. it, you know. And also, I think, yeah, they're all kind of pulling in their own ways and, and had their own kind of visions of what, what the band should be probably, probably as well. Uh, so they put out one EP, four songs. It had, obviously, Jack Lee's Hanging on the Telephone, yep. as well as his song, Give Me Some Time. Mm-hmm. It had drummer Paul Collins' w- Working Too Hard. Okay. And then bassist Peter Case's When You Find Out, which is this song, hmm. which I think is just a fabulous song. Like, I just I just love this song. Entirely. Yeah. So were there th- four guys in the band or three guys three in the guys band? Three guys in the band. Oh, okay. So they each got a song. Each each got it. Well, Jack Lee got two songs yes. and the other two got, yeah, but they all got a song on the... On the and then... That was it for them. They did tour a little bit. They did plan on doing more stuff, but it never came to pass. Yeah. Uh, the album I have, the CD I have by them, called One Way Ticket, basically is six songs, a single, the EP. Yeah. Some demos by them, and then a couple songs by their by their later later groups that they did after this band broke up. Right. And then some live stuff, and that was it. Because Jack Lee never went on to 
be in another band. He right. He went into songwriting and probably did really well from hanging on the telephone that Blondie recorded it and, and made yes. made it into a hit. And then, um, but then Peter Case and Paul Collins, when they finished with the Nerves, they started a band called the Breakaways. They did one song as the Breakaways, then they broke up, and then. Peter Case started a group called the Plimsolls, and Paul Collins started a group called the Beat. The Beat. And the Beat is the re- reason that the British group, the Beat, had to be known as the English Beat here in Canada, or in North America, because of the American Beat that Paul Collins was in. And I just thought I'd play one song by The Breakaway. So this is Peter Case and Paul Collins without Jack Lee. And this song is called Walking Out on Love, and it's really good. So I just thought I'd play it since it's unlikely. A, unlikely many people out there have heard it, but yeah. also B, it's really good. And, you know, what the heck, why not? Why not play it? Because that's what the show is called, right? It's called Listening Party? Sure. It's called Let's Play All the Songs by the Nerves. <laughs> All the Songs by the Nerves and their offshoots. So this is The Breakaways, i.e. Peter Case and Paul Collins, with Walking Out on Love that came out probably 1977, 78. I'm not exactly sure when it did. It's, it's, on, it's on the album One Way Ticket, which that came out in 2008, uh, the, the uh, anthology of the Nerves. So here we go, everyone. Walking Out on Love. <laughs> think of that song by the breakaways oh it was fun yeah it's a good song i mean good. neither of those songs are as good as hanging on the telephone, hanging on the telephone but <laughs> oh i don't know i think one of my top five songs of uh 2020 <laughs> that you listen to over and over again according to spotify <laughs> uh i have to say when you find out i really like a lot i i say it was an ab to me i, I couldn't i couldn't pick one or the other over as a, as a group i think they're both really great and uh, what kind of love, love's a lot of fun and sorry if i made it seem like that's the only song they released that was the only single they released they did do an album's worth of songs that remained unreleased at the time, unfortunately. Mm. Okay, let us move forward, Mary. Okay, what's our next song? Forward into the past. What's the past oh. meaning? Two thousand and three. Wait, but yeah, but our last song came out in nineteen seventy-six. Yep, but we're in two thousand and twenty-one. Oh, so we went from nineteen seventy-six back to twenty twenty, and now we're going back to two thousand three. Twenty twenty-one. Yep, and now we're back going back to two thousand and three. All right. <laughs> oh, so many syllables in that. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. it's too much. Too much. Yeah. So only, only going to get worse. I know. So this is Nellie McKay, and I thought we'd played her before, but we haven't. This song is called Ding Dong, from her first album called Get Away from Me, 
Let's give it a listen, shall we? My cat died and I quickly poured myself some gin Did she die from old age or was it for my sins? God, I loved her all so much, miss her little kitty touch Does she miss me, does she care, oh I miss her kitty stare Do you have a little time, would you like to ease my mind Talk for hours and never stop, chop your head off Be a lighter person, brighter person, nicer But you've heard it all before So ding dong, there's the doorbell Hello, man in white He's gonna make you all well Get you through the night But uh, hey, now you don't feel better As you take your fresh bromide Maybe this man of letters lie Let me tell you about a dream I had the other night You were in it, boy, you sure gave me a super fright I was walking down the street Downtown by the DMV You popped out behind a door Odd, you're on all fours. Do you have some time to spare? You were barking at a bear. It said, Hey, you'd better stop. Chop your head off. Be a lighter person, brighter person, nicer. But you've heard it all before. So ding dong, there's the doorbell. Hello, man in red. He's gonna make you all well, get you into bed. But uh, hey, now you don't feel better as you wake and slowly rise. Maybe the smooth jet set alive. Stick around one minute more. I'm smarter than you think. Do I sound like an old bore? Oh man, it's just the drink I didn't always hit the gin There were times when I fit in They'll never know how much I tried Did I tell you my cat died? Do you have a little time? Would you like to feel sublime? Run away and never stop Chop your head off Be a lighter person, brighter person, nicer But you've heard it all before So ding dong, there's the doorbell Hello, man in black He's gonna make you all well There's no going back But hey, now you don't feel better As you drift off in the dark Maybe this check the ripper light And you'd And we're back. And Mary, thoughts on Ellie McKay? On Ellie McKay? Yes. Oh, I thought you meant what I was thinking about. <laughs> what were we thinking about? I was thinking about the that I didn't give enough thought in 2018 to the fact that it was 100 years after the end of World War One. Okay. Okay. Do you feel bad about that? No. I just... I, well, I feel regret because mm. it is the only time that it will be the 100-year an- anniversary of the end of World War One, yeah, and it feels like something that I should have thought about more mm. in 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there was a lot of uh, stuff about it in the, the papers and yeah, but I don't remember the, any of that at all. Mm. I remember none of it. Okay, yeah, well, that's too bad. You didn't pay attention, I guess. Yeah, well, I didn't have a newspaper or cable at that point. Oh, okay, 
So I was living in Chilliwack. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that is too bad. Because mm-hmm. that's a very important uh, thing in Canadian history. Yes, it is. But anyway. But anyway. Um, your, thought, your thoughts on Nellie McKay? I didn't love it. Didn't like it? No. Well, I, yeah. Mary? Yep. Why do you hate women? I, I don't. I just didn't like her singing very much. Okay. And I felt like the song was too, like, soft and sweet. Like, yeah. it was too round. Yeah. There's nothing to, like, hold on to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, not too jazzy, then? No. All right. I wonder if that, maybe that was where you uh, didn't like her kind of jazz inflections in her voice. So Well, I also don't like jazz very much. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, I really do like this album. And I at first I kind of thought this album was the music industry... Putting its money where its cocaine was or is, but I do think actually this that it was chasing money when they signed Nellie McKay, and the reason I say that is because shortly before they signed Nellie McKay, this uh, Columbia Records, Nora Jones came out with her album, "Come Away with Me," which obviously Nellie McKay is making a joke on that album title with her "Get Away from Me" right title for, for her album. But yeah, Nora Jones had come up, put out "Come Away with Me," which was a huge hit. Yes, huge hit at the time. Everyone loved it. Everyone loved Nora Jones. She's beautiful. Her music's great. Her singing's wonderful. This is great. And then all the record labels were like, oh, we better find someone who's like her. Right. And so that's how Nellie McKay gets signed. Cool. Because she's playing, she's playing in piano bars around New York City, playing her quirky music, quirky yeah. kind of jazzy music. She took jazz. She does kind of, you know who she kind of reminds me of? Okay. Joanna Newsom. Okay, sure. sure. Similar vibe, I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's possible. That's interesting. It's possible that she reminds me of her? No, I'm just, I'm just saying it's possible <laughs> that they're kind of connected like in terms of, not necessarily theme, but in sort of upbringing, feeling or whatever. Yeah. Like Nellie McKay's dad was a British director. Her mom was an American actress. Right. And so she has dual citizenship, but she mo- she's mostly lived in America. She lived in, she moved around a lot. I guess her mom as an actress, you know, did a lot of theater, I guess, maybe. Like, I don't know exactly what, but she lived like in... Um, well, she lived in Harlem for a while in New York City, but she mm-hmm. also lived in Olympia, Washington. Okay. And then she lived in Mount Pocono in Pennsylvania as well. Okay. So she kind of moved around the country a lot. And, and then she went to music school in New York City, mm-hmm. went to the Manhattan School of Music, where she studied jazz voice. Cool. She didn't graduate, but she did graduate enough that she, she graduated in the sense that she was playing in piano bars around, around New York City and got signed to a record label. Right. That's a pretty good graduation. It is. From your schooling. Yeah. It's like if you, like, drop out of film school because you get offered to make a film. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, like, you're not going to be like, oh, sorry, I'm not going to make that film. I I got some school to do. (laughs) Like, um, no. (laughs) This is your school, isn't it? No, no, I got to get my degree. So I I think the label obviously had high hopes in her. It brought in Jeff Emmerich as the producer. Jeff Emmerich is very well known to Beatles fanatics because he produced... The Beatles in their sort of late imperial phase. He worked on Revolver. He worked on Sgt. Pepper. He worked on other albums. And also, he's the brother of Roland Emmerich. He is not the brother of Roland Emmerich. Oh. That is be wrong to say that. Okay. The son of Roland Emmerich. <laughs> he is not the son of Roland Emmerich. Oh, okay. Either. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. Sorry. He has no relation to that family. Oh, okay. Whose name is spelled slightly differently. Since oh, okay. Jeff Emmerich has a K at the end of his and they have mm. an H at the end of their name. Right, right, right. And really then, anglicized when they moved to America. He's a, a British engineer producer as well. Hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> it's, it's falling apart. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> right in front of your own eyes, Mary. Sorry to bring reality to bear. Mm, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. It was, a good, it was a good gag. Thanks. Corrected by me into the ground. Yeah. No, I'm the one who doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Bazing. But so... Uh, he doesn't have like a huge resume as a producer. 
he's more known as an engineer, but I think he brought, you know, he has produced, he produced Elvis Costello's Imperial Bedroom would be an example of an album he produced, but he brings a real like engineer's ear to this album. Like it sounds great. You know, all the instruments are recorded fantastically. The, you know, everything's mic'd impeccably. It all sounds fantastic. And McKay, who was 21 at the time, insisted that the record company release the album as a two disc set, even though it would fit onto one CD. And I got to tell you, Mary, that is brilliant hmm. because that is recognizing the inherent limitations of the of the CD as a as a, a form of me, a form of media transportation, which is that it's too long, it's too damn long. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you can fit all those songs in one CD; those that those should be separated into an album and released accordingly, hmm. in my opinion. So she was right, and they were wrong. Um, I just want to interrupt quickly because. Yeah. Uh, I looked up Roland Emmerich, yeah. and I have not seen a single one of his films. Sure. And I'm okay with that. You've never seen Godzilla? Which, the 98 one? No. Yeah. You've never seen the one where the White House gets blown up? Nope. I saw the better one. Did you see The Day After? The Day After? What's that? The one where the world freezes because of global warming? Oh, The Day After Tomorrow? The Day After Tomorrow, I'm sorry. No. Nope. <laughs> I also have not seen 10,000 BC. Me neither. 2012. That's crazy. Independence Day Resurgence. Nope. Midway? Ugh. The original Independence Day. Oh, I have seen that one, actually. Ah, uh, Mary's Lawyer. Damn, I missed that. <laughs> That's one where the White House blows up. I can't remember the name oh, of it. Oh, I thought you meant White House Down. No. He did do White House Down. Did he do White House Down? Yeah. But the White House doesn't blow up in that one. It blows up in the third one, right? What? White House Down? Yeah. So there's a third White House Down? Oh, White House Down. Oh, that one. Oh, I didn't like that one. No. I was thinking of Olympus Has Fallen, and then London Has Fallen. Oh. And then Angel Has Fallen, or whatever it's called. Oh. Hmm. Something's fallen. Someone fell. Right. All right, Mary. Let's move on from from a. Oh, you uh, know what? I, I, like. I got them mixed up too, and oh. I have seen White House Down. Yeah. And I thought it was fun. Yeah, I didn't like that movie. Why? I don't know. It's just too stupid. You don't like fun? Not that kind of stupid fun. Hmm. Okay. I like my fun to be smart, not stupid. Interesting. I like stupid things. Silly. <laughs> Why is that silly? That's the opposite of silly. You're being silly because you like dumb fun things. Yeah. I'm being sensible because I like sensible dumb things. I mean, sensible fun things. Ah, yes. The most fun thing. Yeah. Being sensible. Exactly. <laughs> well, it has to be, like, fun within a limit of mm. if, of believability. Right. If it's just, like... It has to be fun. If something's going to be fun, it has to have really... has to follow a set of very strict rules. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Otherwise, Mary, mm. would you think it would be fun to watch children playing around the uh, edge of a cliff if there wasn't a fence there? You wouldn't no. think that was fun at all. you think that would be very, very dangerous. It would make you really nervous to watch them. Yeah. It is not fun to watch people do things when there's no boundaries to what they're doing. It has no, there's no, there's no risk to it. Right. There's no reward to it. Mm. It's just endless noise and cacophony mm. for no particular reason. And mm. that is not appealing to me. I want to have a sense of peril that right. they overcome. Yeah. Not that they can run around in a garden while people are shooting guns at them. And it's absolutely no risk. It feels like a video <laughs> game. That's not interesting to me. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Why are you smiling? Because you're being funny. <laughs> but sensible. Mm. All right. I guess that's a word for it. Yes. <laughs> Let's play another song before Mary insults me further, everyone. <laughs> I said nothing insulting. This song I'm sure Mary liked. This is Deerhoof with a song, The Galaxist, whatever that means, from their 2007 album, Friend Opportunity. Let's give a listen to these art rockers, everybody.
and galaxy. Different That was your chicken imitation. Back. Fuck. Just being sensible. Back. Mare. Yes. Back. <laughs> what do you think of? This movie? I mean, this song? <laughs> this movie. Back. <laughs> what do you think of this movie? I mean, this song. <laughs> the Collapses by Deerhoof. Oh. Um... Gotta open your notes now. <clears throat> I have opened my notes. Um, I like this one more than the last song. I liked it. Oh yeah. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was kind of similar to the last song, just in that it also had a woman singer. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it had like a bit more edge to it mm-hmm. this time, and I I liked that. Okay. So I like okay. this one. Cool, cool. Yeah, Deerhoof was um, it's a weird group. Yeah. Let me just say that for you. Okay. Like it was formed in 1994 in San Francisco. It began as a solo bass harmonica improvisational project for this guy named Rob Fisk. What? How was that weird? <laughs> How is this guy basically basically doing the like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins one man band show? How was that weird? Playing strictly playing a bass and a harmonica. Yeah. A guitar and a harmonica? No. No, no of course not. not. No bass and harmonica. Yes. Oh, are you gonna play songs? Yep. Yep. Well did you write a bunch of songs for this? No, I'm just gonna improvise them. We're going to improvise them on a bass and a harmonica. Mm-hmm. That's my plan. All right. You're going to be there to see it? I don't, you know what? <laughs> I think I might have a thing I'm doing that night. But here's the incredible thing. Here's the incredible thing, Mary. Well, okay. A week later, he gets joined by a drummer. A guy named Greg Sonner joins hmm. on drums. So that now you're thinking, okay, well, that makes more sense. Now you've got a, a harmonica playing bass player with a drummer. Yeah. I can see that. Playing improvisational songs. This is bound for success. Well, so you know. They were? The duo was quickly signed to for a single to the to the label, the Olympia Washington label, Kill Rockstars. Hmm. Speaking of Olympia Washington, which you were earlier. Yep. So there you go, Mare. Nothing nothing anyone does will not get signed to a record label. Apparently not, yeah. <laughs> In 1995, a year later, Satomi Matsuzaki mm-hmm. joined the band within a week of moving to the U.S. from Japan. And with no experience playing in the band... Or singing for a band. Really? She went on tour as the band singer a week later. Oh, wow. But I mean... She's really good. I guess. I like her. Matsuzaki sang on the group's debut album, The Man, The King, The Girl, in 1997. But from that point on, she would sing lead vocals and play bass. Mm. And Rob Fisk moved to guitar. Oh, I thought you were going to say he moved to just harmonica. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I really need to focus on my harmonica. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so 
yeah, he played guitar on the next two releases before being replaced by John Diederich, who made his first appearance. Who's related to us? No. Oh. I'm getting my last names mixed up. You again. are getting your last names mixed up yeah. with people who spell the name completely differently than ours, mm-hmm. once again. Yeah. And does, it, also, does this one end with an H? Not related to Roland Emmerich. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> my two last names sound similar. It does, it does end with a C-H, like Roland Emmerich, but mm. it's not, not related. Uh, so he made his first appearance on the, their amazing album, Reveille, which is just a crazy great album, which I did not get until I had put this song, I had got this album first and I put this song on this mixtape. But I found, and I found Reveille, of all places, I found it at a value village in Chilliwack. Interesting. An album by Deerhoof. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. That, that is weird. It's a great album, though. I'll, I'm not going to play a song from it, unfortunately, but it's, it's really good. It's really good. What was I going to say? Was it something about Deerhoof? Yeah. Okay. So then Chris Cooper joined the band for their next album, Apollo. Apple, uh, I say Apollo because Apple O apostrophe. As if you're saying Apple, Apple of my eye. But you don't say Apple O my eye, right? Do you say that? Apple O my eye or you say Apple of my eye? Apple of my eye. Apple of my eye. So it's Apple O. Uh, it's like a schwa. Apple of my eye. It's a schwa sound. Yeah. Apple of my eye. Uh, so he stayed with the group for two albums before leaving to pursue a solo ventures in a band, his own band called The Curtain. However, he was in the band in 2006, for half of 2006, when, which was a busy year for the band because they did, they recorded an album with Daniel Smith mm-hmm. uh, of the Danielson family. He re- recorded an album called Ships, and so they, they were backing musicians on that album. Hmm. And I would say, I would describe it as, Daniel Smith as the eccentric Chris, Christian gospel musician. Okay. Friend of uh, Sufjan Stevens. Yep. And Sufjan Stevens, of course, recorded his album Seven Swans at Daniel Smith's Sounds Familiar Studios. Yep. The Rec Room, and is also on Ships, the album Ships, as well as oh, okay. as well as the uh, as well as um, uh, Deerhoof. And so yeah, Smith is kind of weird. Like he had a he was going to Rutgers University and he had a born again experience there, hmm. and he became totally centered around family. That's good. Formed a band with his family and friends. Okay. And he actually ended up submitting the album as his thesis for his final year at Rutgers. Huh. What was he studying? I guess he was studying uh, music. Hmm. Cool. And then... Maybe um, he was studying, like, sociology. Could be. It would still count. Yeah. And, um... At, um... So I didn't have to do this at my university, but at Eve's University, a lot of bachelor's degrees, you'd need to submit a final portfolio before you graduate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But we didn't have to do, like, a thesis or a portfolio or anything to graduate with a bachelor's you just like finished your classes and then we're like see ya (laughs) and you had to apply to graduate and then you're like see ya (laughs) good luck yeah i don't know if you've ever seen them perform or have seen their videos but the band the like a lot of the band will wear like nurses uniforms Hmm. with big giant hearts on their on their chests or um they'll wear service uniforms and i guess they're supposed to symbolize symbolize like the healing words of god's love okay are they wearing like scrubs or are they wearing like no like old-fashioned white yeah yeah, white ones with a pink cap and everything and so yeah so it's it's all it's you know it's not meant to be like literal it's supposed to be symbolic right so i was gonna say like if they're wearing like yeah just like pink pants and then like a shirt that has like disney character ears and they're all pink on it yeah you know not a big deal yeah. No, they dress in the they dress in the stereotypical right. yeah. know, nurse uniform of the 1970s, uh, and like I say, I think that they are yeah, symbolic like, of like servants of love. In the case right. of the service uniforms, or you know, the healing power of God's love is represented mm-hmm. in the nurses' uniforms. There is like a big um, focus in a lot of Christian communities on service. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It should be. 
Mm-hmm. Should be. I said that once. I was mentioning once to a coworker that one of our residents is always taking care of everyone. She's mm-hmm. always like collecting people's dishes and bringing them to like where the dishes are collected and making sure people have napkins and that kind of stuff. Yeah. This woman said, "Oh, well, she's a servant." I was like, "That's weird." <laughs> then I was like, "Oh, I guess in like a religious." Yeah. Yeah. Not, you're not saying that like she. She's not doing it because she feels like she has to. She's doing it because she wants to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Big part of big part of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it was in that same year that Deerhoof recorded this album, Friend, Friend Opportunity, as well. So, uh, yeah. Uh, of course, they recorded it as a three-piece because uh, Chris Cohen had left to do his thing. Right. Okay. What's our next song, Dad? Um, well, actually, I'm going to play a song from, from Ships. What? By Danielson. Oh, okay. I just thought it'd be kind of interesting to hear... It's also very avant mm-hmm. in its own way. And so I'm going to play that now. This is, uh, I'll tell you what this song is when we come back. Because like a ding dong, I did not write it down in my notes here. I don't okay. know how I forgot that. I went through them all carefully before I printed them, but I obviously missed it. Apparently them. not too carefully. Not with a fine tooth comb, apparently. <laughs> More of a glancing eye. <laughs> all right. So this is Danielson from the album Ships that came out, I think, in 2006. I don't know for sure. But let's give it a listen. Oh, yeah. It's 2006 because it came out the same year as they were recording friend opportunity that came out in 2007 so let's give it a listen everybody this is the song it's called blood book in i can't remember it's called but we'll listen to it just play the song here we go rowing ringing castle flaming has been like this bona fide or little light and dignified down the river across the great Looks, we're taking a look, take a hit 
that was Danielson family with blood books on the half shell mare. Yes. Was that interesting? It was interesting. <laughs> they have a, a unique sound, that group. Yes, they do. I would say... I don't dislike it, but it's weird. Yeah. If you said to someone, I'm going to play you some Christian rock, and then you put that on, they'd be like, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I should... Uh, Not what I was expecting. should try to sell that to some people at work. <laughs> <laughs> put on some nice Christian music for us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you could hear uh, Sufjan Stevens doing some whistling on that song, and then Deerhoof providing the drums and the guitar and stuff like that, bass. With some backing vocals from so Satomi Mitsuzaki, and I gotta say, well, I saw I saw them play a couple years ago. Gearhuff? Yeah, quite a fun, quite a fun band. It's interesting. The drummer sits at the very front of the stage. He sets up his drums right on the edge of the stage. Basically, he's almost half the show. He's just this hmm. real wild man of the drums. Just puts on a real, real act, and then yeah, I guess that's why he's in the front. <laughs> yeah, and the guitar players are like in the back, which is unusual. And then Satomi Matsuzaki kind of stands midpoint, I suppose, but she likes to wear masks when she's singing as well, okay. so she'll put on masks and, and do funny little dances and stuff. It's quite, cool. They're a pretty fun life. I Sounds fun. They're good. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on to our next song, my dear. Okay. This is from the actual mix, unlike most of the songs I've been playing today. It's uh, <laughs> This is from 1972. Uh, Timmy Thomas with the song Why Can't We Live Together, uh, which came from his album Why Can't We Live Together. So let's let's give it a listen, everyone. Okay. 
back and mary what did you think of of this song what did you think of timmy thomas um sorry eve was writing these notes for me oh, okay. they're like completely illegible <laughs> i'm like you were just sitting you couldn't like change you couldn't rewrite that word to be the right word no you're just gonna leave it like that okay um um okay so my thoughts okay i didn't love the instrumental part at the beginning okay but it was better with, when the singing started okay um, I thought that the instrumental part at the beginning kind of sounded like, um, like, okay, it's the mid 1990s. Okay. You're in a mall. Yeah. Or perhaps you're watching Sex in the City. Okay. And this song is playing. <laughs> Eve also suggested an uh, awkward scene in an elevator. <laughs> huh. Um, but Eve also said yeah. that this song was, um, sampled by drake mm. for one of drake's most popular okay. songs hotline bling okay okay yeah yeah i can see i can see this song being sampled a lot actually because mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty percussive uh overall mm. interesting well t- uh, it, yeah it's probably it's a, one of the weirdest big hits of the early 70s like weirdest sounding yeah like it's a really spare strange song yeah it is weird but it was a big hit it was number three in the pop charts wow. number one r&b charts wow in 1972 so it did really well for, for Thomas. Now he started, well, he's a keyboardist. He started uh, playing with jazz musicians. He played with Donald Byrd and Cannonball Adderley. And then he moved out of jazz because there was not, not a lot of money in jazz in those days. Mm-hmm. And into the more lucrative R&B scene. Right. Uh, in 1964, he joined Philip and the Faithfuls, who were signed to the Goldwax label. And he played with them for a few singles. And then I don't know if they broke up or he just left them. But he kind of did some... Sp- Continued on Goldwax. He went into session musician because he moved to Memphis and he became a session musician there. And so while he was doing session work, he also recorded a few solo sides for Goldwax. Hmm. And but none of them were big hits; didn't really go anywhere. And so it was about it was a few more years until he was able to record another song. In 1970, he did a song called "What's Bothering Me" on the Climax label. And when that didn't mount to much, he decided to make a change in his life and he moved from Memphis to Miami, Florida. Hmm. And he kind of joined the TK Records family there. And, of course, TK, probably the most, well, TK famous for Casey and the Sunshine Band, George McRae, Rock Your Baby, and then Glenn, Gwen McRae for um, Rock and Chair, mm-hmm. which, which he played on because he was, worked as a session musician for TK. And then also was signed to their subsidiary, Glades Record. And I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. TK Records, I don't know if it holds a record for most subsidiaries, but for a very small record label, it had a lot of subsidiaries. Yeah. They are Alston, 
Okay. Drive. Okay. Dash. Okay. Sunshine Sound. Okay. Cat. Okay. Clouds. Okay. Quana. And Glades. Huh. That's a lot of... Sounds like they just wanted to, like... Plus TK Records itself. Right. Sounds like they just wanted to, like, copyright as many names as they could. I Yeah. I mean, the idea... It took me a long time to figure it out. We've mentioned it at shows before, but the purpose of subsidiaries for record labels was to avoid payola scandals when they if they had a lot of hits in the charts... Right. They would have they'd spread their hit makers out yeah. across several labels, so it didn't look like they were stacking the charts with, right. with all their own songs. And so that that was why that was. But why TK needed to have eight, seven or eight different versions yeah. of it is I don't understand. So yeah, it was. So in Miami Beach, started working as a session musician for TK Records, uh, as we all know, named for a guy I think whose name was Terry Knight, who designed the studio. For TK Records, and huh. the guy who the guy who owned it was so happy with it, he named the he named the label after the guy who designed the, the engineer who That's did that. That's funny. Yeah, it's like um, Granny naming a horse after one of Uncle Mark's friends who helped out with the birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So uh, now Thomas recorded "Why Can't We Live Together." It was basically it was done as a demo hmm. at a studio called uh, Dukoff Records in North Miami. And now it was a very simple stripped down production because it was just a demo. Right. It just features Thomas on a Lowry organ using the bossa nova setting on the organ's built-in drum machine. So okay. that's the actual drums on it. It's just a right. drum machine on the organ. Huh. And it was such so stripped down that it was just recorded in mono because it wasn't intended as a as a release. Right. But when he took the song to TK Records staff producer Steve Alemo, uh, whose intention was to take the song and then cut it with a full band. Mm-hmm. Alimo listened to it and he went, oh, no, this is it. This is done. It's finished. Yeah. We don't need to do anything more to this. Oh, wow. And so they released it. And uh, he was right because it was a huge hit. Huge, huge hit. Hmm. And yeah, it's really it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing song. I really like um, I really like his style of doing these songs. There's another song he did a year after a year after uh, Why Can't We Live Together called Let Me Be Your Eyes, which uses a similar sound, similar effects with like the drum machines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But. It has a more of a full band sound, so it has a guitar and stuff added to it as well. Right, and it's it's quite a good song as well. The other interesting thing about "Why Can't We Live Together" is the original version is over four minutes long, but the single cut off the end of the song because mm. it was considered to be too jazzy. Okay, and so they cut it off, and it's kind of jazzy, but also kind of weird. Like it has really awkward drum breaks in it. I think because they're making the drumming on the they're using the the key the keyboard thing to to make the drumming sounds, and it sounds right. it's really kind of stiff sounding. Oh, okay. So it doesn't come across as uh, properly. It sounds right. a little weird. But yeah. So, but Mary, have you ever heard Let Me Be Your Eyes by Timmy Thomas? I don't think so. Let me correct that for you. Okay. Let me play you that song. All right. So this is from 73, also so, on Glades. Yep. What's it going to say? So what? Oh, I was going to say, you're going to play like an extra song for every song? Not necessarily. Here, I haven't done that, but I've played a few. Okay. Played a few. All right. This is a listening party. No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. music, everyone. I'm just saying. Let's listen to Timmy Thomas. This okay. is uh, Let Me Be Your Eyes. Let me be your eyes 
Uh, a little bit more Timmy Thomas there, just to just to make me happy. Sure, because I like him. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, that was nice. Okay, Mary, let's play an actual song from the actual mix. Keep you happy. Mary doesn't like my extracurricular. That activities. is not true. She's all mad at me. She's frowning the whole time we were playing that song. True, I was. <laughs> For unrelated. Just yeah, just scowling. <laughs> the scowling is Cross my arms, shaking my head. <laughs> I'm used to that. Okay, this is a new generation. Are you ready for a new generation, Mary? Sure. Seems kind of, I don't know, it's almost cor- almost the corniest name I could think of for a group. A new generation with She's a Soldier Boy. Uh, this was a Spark single that came out. It was actually a B-side to a different song called Smoky Blues Away. Okay. Uh, this came out in 1968, but She's a Soldier Boy is about four million times better than the A-side. I got to tell you that right now. So let's like, listen to this song. I don't know why I like this song so much, Mary. I love the vo- I love the vocals. I love the instrumentation. I love the the uh, keyboard sound in it. Okay. But I also love the lyrics because they are so weird. They just feel like almost surreal. In like she's she's a soldier boy. That's just weird itself, right? Yeah. Like the use of she and boy is weird. It but is. It just kind of it, it's a, it's a kind of a weird but a p- pleasing effect. Let's give it a listen, everyone. She tells lies.
Yes. Thoughts on A New Generation's She's a Soldier Boy. Ah, I thought it was catchy, fun. Mm-hmm. I liked the tambourine. Yeah. Is there a tambourine there? I, can't, well. I think there was, and <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What year was it from again? Uh, 1968. 1968. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I did write that it sounded very 60s, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, it uh, definitely of that time period. And I have to say that this is the part of the, the mixtape that I wasn't very happy with. And it wasn't that I was unhappy with the songs. It's just that I ended up having, I don't think these songs fit together very well. I don't think it's not a, it wasn't like a nice, it was a nice transition from why can't we be, why can't we live together to, to this song? I felt like what I wish is I'd move this song a little earlier into the mix. Right. And just had it go from, from Galaxist to why can't we live together to the final song? I think that would have been a little better. This song didn't quite work where it was and. I don't know why I didn't notice it at the time, but I noticed it listening to it again that I wasn't really happy with the, the transitions. I just didn't think they worked. For one thing, this song fades in, and Timmy, the Timmy Thomas song almost kind of fades in as well. So it's two songs that kind of have fade-ins that it's, uh, just, I don't know, didn't work. Didn't work. What were you thinking, Dave? What were you thinking? A New Generation was formed in 1968 by Scottish brothers Gavin and Ian Sutherland. Gavin played bass and Ian played guitar. And they were joined by keyboard player Christopher Kemp and drummer John Wright. So they actually had some minor success with the single Smoky Blues Away. Smoky Blues Away borrowed its melody from uh, Antonin Javorek's New World Symphony. Their following two singles, however, fell on deaf ears and the group disbanded. The brothers continuing as a duo in the folk vein. So they issued two albums on Island, first as the Sutherland Brothers Band and then just as the Sutherland Brothers. Then they teamed up with a group called Quiver becoming the rather unwieldy-sounding Sutherland Brothers and Quiver. But they did go on to have a few hits in that, as that uh, weird... That's yeah, a weird name. Yeah, it is a weird name. And I always wondered why it was called that. And then I, when, I was, when I read about it later, like a few years ago, I was like, ah, that's why. Okay. Yeah. It's still weird, but okay, I get it. And I what's, guess, what's I guess they were like, we don't want to lose our name recognition. <laughs> no, they don't. Interesting little bit of trivia is Bruce Thomas, mm-hmm. who would later play bass with Elvis Costello in the Attractions, was the bass player in Quiver. But he left the group after he had some ego clashes or some disagreements with Ian Sutherland. And because Quiver had earlier backed the musician Al Stewart on a couple of albums, he then went with Al Stewart and played bass for him for a while. And then, of course, later on, he would uh, join Elvis Costello in the attractions, making him another one of those old guys who, like, reconfigured themselves to become part of the new wave. Just like the police and uh, Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds. Those were old guys who were like... Played at bands in the 60s. Yeah. Who then, you know, kind of like re- remodel themselves like, hey, kids, I'm hip and happening with my new short hair and my cool glasses. <laughs> but what's interesting about Bruce Thomas is that he's that awesome bass player. Yeah. I found his bass playing in the attractions is, is bar none. But uh, he also clashed with Elvis Costello. He wrote he wrote a romantic clef called The Big Wheel, which is a thinly disguised novel about life in... in rock band fronted by Elvis Costello. Right. And Elvis Costello did not take very kindly to his presentation in the book. No. And they just never really made up and mm. uh, became friends again. I think he he was on Sonic Youth for about five songs and all those songs are great because he's such a great bass player. But I have to say that him leaving him leaving the, the attractions has always been to the detriment of Elvis Costello. Yeah. It's too bad they don't get along, but that's life, I guess. Yep. True. 
And as, as Elvis Costello likes to say, the new bass player in the attractions has played longer than Bruce Thomas ever did. But did he play as well, Elvis? That's the question we were asking. Mm, yeah. Now, Mary, I know you think that I've been playing a song with every song that we've played. But I'm going to play one more song. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. This is the new generation. And it's another one of their Spark singles. It's called Police Is Here. It's a, it's a um, story of their arrest by the police. Okay. Not the band. Andy Summer was still playing in. Of course, uh, was, I know. Was still playing in the New Animals at this time. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, Andy Summer was still playing in the New Animals. Anyway, um, hilarious. <laughs> why are you? Why are your arms crossed and you're scowling at me, right? <laughs> so this is uh, "Pleases Here," uh, also for 1968 uh, Spark single, backed with Mr. C. But this is the song that counts. It's really good. Let's give it a listen, everyone. I don't understand. Here, I just want to say one thing. I don't understand. Why the single that was popular, Smoky Blues Away, mm-hmm. it's no good. Yeah. It's not anywhere near as good as She's a Soldier Boy. Right. And it's nowhere near as good as this song, Place is Here. Hmm. None of these songs were hits. Right. Anyway, let's listen to it, folks. You'll see what I mean. Okay. Oh, 
right. All right, Mary. So that was police is here. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I've always thought of police as a collective noun, kind of like people. The people are here. Police are here. But eh, whatever. I did like that. that well, I like to hear a bit of Mellotron in that song, of course. That, mm-hmm. that was great. And also like the use of sort of that kind of like pipes. The right. pipes the pipes were calling were yeah. also kind of in that song as well. Uh, kind of fun. Anyway. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Way better than Smoky Blues Away, is what yeah. I'm saying. And uh, just one another one of those bands that kind of slipped through the cracks of the 60s. But luckily, for crazy record collectors, we uh, thanks to them, we can hear these songs. Thank you, crazy record collectors. <laughs> so, Mare, here's our final song. Once again, it's one that you've played before on the show. Mm. This is Eric Matthews. Me? Yeah. Cool. Eric Matthews with No Gnashing Teeth from mm-hmm. his second album, The Lateness of the Hour, which came out in 1997. Fabulous album, recorded with the same team that he recorded his first album. It's it's heavy in here. Uh, Jason Faulkner's on it, Tony Lash. I think only person missing is the Hippie Slayer, as he's called, the drummer who worked on that album. He's not on this one. Instead, uh, Tony Lash plays drums as well as adding some other, like adding guitar and working as an engineer. And Greg Williams, another local drummer, had played with the band Quarter Flash, who were a Portland-based group, kind of well-known in the, the uh, West Coast when I was uh, a teenager. Um, and so Tony Lash is playing on one side of the stereo spectrum and Greg Williams is playing on the other on their drum kits. And uh, and then um, Eric Matthews' brother, Wes Matthews, is on bass and piano for this song. So although Jason Faulkner was involved in uh, many of the songs on this recording, he's not involved in the recording of this song. But he was on the uh, involved in this. Uh... And unfortunately, this album was not a big enough success that um, that uh, Sub Pop opted to continue uh, recording or continue a relationship with Eric Matthews. This was his final album with them. I feel that he kind of uh, fell victim to the fact that they did not know how to market a orchestral pop singer to their primarily grunge-orientated audience. And so that was a bit of a hurdle for them to overcome. They have, yeah. They've they done better in recent years. Now that grunge has gone away entirely, it's easier for them to market bands of different, yeah, different stripes. Yeah, non-grunge yeah. bands, yeah. But at that time, I think they were really pigeonholed. And they had a real, you know, particular interest group who were interested in what they were producing, and this was not what they wanted from them. But anyway, let's listen to the wonderful, the beautiful, the gnashing of the teeth from Eric Matthews. Though it's good to know you, I can see that there's a sadness there that leaks of danger. If autumn feels good, leave tomorrow. Read the simple signs and live today. Any kind is bad. 
What did you think of? Uh... I love this song. You don't need to ask me. <laughs> know. You know I love it. I kind of paused because I was like, "Well, what am I even doing this for?" <laughs> but yeah, you you were a fan of Eric Matthews. Yes. You know, you were uh, three years old when the song came out. Mm-hmm. So you were perfect age you were to so appreciate excited. some orchestral pop. <laughs> you were so excited by it. <laughs> you said, "Dad, I'm going to fill my diapers with glee." Mm-hmm. I said, "I do not encourage that." Hmm. Do three-year-olds still wear diapers? I don't know. I just felt felt right I, after okay. I said it. I thought, "No, that's not even correct." Because yeah. I doubt you're wearing. Diapers at that point. I don't remember though. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not very. I don't. I'm not very with it. Re-child development stages. I, I was more with it, but now that it's so far in the past, I don't really remember the exact stage. Well, like, that's when the stages thing. Ended. Right. I yeah. do remember there were stages. Yeah. You know, there was bottle feeding. Mm-hmm. Obviously, blood taking. Uh huh. Diaper changing. Yeah. Uh, having to remove the the bile. Yes. You know, this bile scraping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, eyeball washing. Mm-hmm. Trepanation. <laughs> Regular trepanation, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, th- you know, those are all things that all stages of childhood development yeah, that are well known. Definitely. But I don't remember exactly when they occurred in mm-hmm. terms of age. Yeah. But anyhow. Yeah. Eric Matthews is great. It's too bad he's a, a kook and a trumpist. Is he? Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. It is rather rather unfortunate. I think I think people who think they're smarter than everyone else can get fall into those sort of traps. Yeah. Definitely. Just look at all the QAnon people in the States. Yeah. And in yeah, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. yeah. You kind of fall into your own trap. Yeah. I'll show you who's smarter. Hey, guys hear about lizard people? <laughs> yep. Much smarter. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Congratulations <laughs> on your knowledge that no one else has for a reason. No one else knows this. Yeah. I can believe that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Really. I mean, literally. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, dear. Yep. That's the end of this mixtape. Yeah, I liked it. Did you like the mixtape? I thought it was good. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Had some good songs. Yeah? Had some new songs I hadn't heard before. Oh, cool. Had some old songs that I heard before and I liked. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's a good mix then. Mm Mm-hmm. It's perfectly perfect. Perfectly perfect. Sure. As far as I know, Nick Owen liked one song a lot, because that's what he wrote to me about. What song? Uh, One, Two, Three, and I Fell by the New York, or the Long Island Sound. It's on the first side. I don't remember it. One, two, three, and I fell. Baby, da-da-da-da. Do, do, I don't do, remember do. it. A little bit of bubblegum. Sure. Cool. That's good. You thought it was great. Yeah, that's and good. I, and I fully appre- I fully appreciate that. Great. I think a mixtape is the sort of thing that you can revisit in later years and you'll have different opinions of different songs Oh, totally. As well. 
you know. So that's the value of a mixtape. It always pays revisiting. Yep. What I'm saying is, if you don't like any of the songs on this mixtape, well, yeah, f- just wait. For example, yeah. when I first listened to the mixtape that had that song by The Nerves hanging on the telephone. Oh, yeah. I yeah. was like, this is a good song. Yeah. And then when I heard it again a couple months later, I was yeah. like, this is a great song. <laughs> you know? <laughs> maybe have, maybe learning the story of it helped you? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, Mare. Okay, Dad. If listeners would like to write to us uh-huh. and uh, tell us in great detail what they think of you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, how would they do that? Um, They can contact us by going to our website, sneakydragon.com. So on there we have our uh all of our our contact us page with all of our contacting information what yep. are you doing I, well, I guess gonna put a little bell in the, in the show this time oh okay it's in, in interesting yeah go on it's kind of stressful it's kind of stressing me out am i do i make a mistake when i make a mistake are you gonna bring it i would never do that okay um <laughs> uh okay <Oops>. so <laughs> <laughs> Listeners can email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon, on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon, and on our website we have the episode and you can comment there. And that's it. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Stressing me out. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. ready let me know okay i'm ready okay we recorded six minutes of nothing oh great (laughs) just like every just like every episode (laughs) burn although usually we do three hours of that burn got us yourself (laughs) got him him m being us (laughs) all right um i guess i'll start or you want to start no you start i never start you started before Uh, doesn't sound like me Right.